Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. He once again has undercut the conclusions of our intel community. Uh, he may think that he's being too clever. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 17th of December, year of our Lord 2018. Decided to go early so I can get a Friday one in. And then Monday's Christmas on. Yeah, I got a bunch of stuff for Christmas. It's going to be a little ugly. It's going to be the Grinches section or the coal elves from one of my favorite cartoons. Prep and landing. I'm going to go over some coal. We have a lot today, but we still have a lot left. I mean, there's just so much bad Christmas stories. And then some positive, happy Christmas stuff for next Monday. Uh, figure Christmas Eve's a doggone good time to do yourself a Christmas podcast, so I will. But that was Mika Brzezinski, and I, I love this. Uh, Mika Brzezinski did her part to make homophobia great again. That is actually an anchor, a liberal anchor, saying, but buddy, Donald Trump Jr., this is disgusting. How can Kevin Hart for real essentially be forced to lose his Oscar gig for comments he made years ago as a comedian, but Mika can make a serious homophobic slur on a major news station, have the network try to cover it up, and make it not an issue? Give me a break. Somebody said, once again, the rules don't apply to them. A day after mocking Secretary of State Pompeo, a, a, a government official, which you could never do the Obama administration, because you called somebody a uh, butt buddy of Obama, not only were you a homophobe, you were sexist. On Thursday, day after morning, Joe Mika Brzezinski unleashed a disgusting slur against Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, mocking him as a wannabe dictator butt boy. The MSDNC journalist was asked on the show, co-host and husband Joe Scarborough deemed it a long-planned family event. Yeah. So by the time she came back, this is her weak-ass apology. I was off yesterday for a family matter, as you mentioned, but I wanted to address a term that I used on this show on Wednesday that was vulgar. I knew it right away, and I tweeted that it was a terrible choice of words and that I was sorry. But please allow me to say this face-to-face. The term is crass and offensive, and I apologize to everyone, especially the LGBTQ community and to my colleagues for using it. It was a mistake. My father would have found it so unbecoming and disrespectful, and he would have told me. I will work hard to be better, but I just wanted to say on camera, looking the viewers straight in the eye, I am really, really sorry. So now to the news. What's missing there? Oh, yeah. She never apologized to an uh, official of the Trump administration. She didn't talk to Pompeo. She talked to the gay community and her colleagues. That's what she apologized to. Would that fly for conservatives, boys and girls? No, because remember, Roseanne put a picture of the fucking Planet of the Ape monkey 
lost her career. They rewrote her show because she was an evil, evil racist. But Mika Brzezinski, an ally, and I just air-quoted, gets the Alec Baldwin treatment. Tweetment. You can literally call somebody a faggot. As long as you're a liberal. You can get away with it. I mean, that guy has called people faggots, punched people in the face numerous times, called his fucking daughter a dirty whore, his wife a bitch. He still has a TV show on ABC, and he was on Saturday Night Live this weekend, which I'm playing a couple of their skits for the Monday show because they were non-political Christmas ones. But they started out with It's a Wonderful Life parody where Trump was never president. Once again, everybody said the same thing. Why couldn't you do the one from the early days with Dana Carvey and stuff where they beat the shit out of Potter? Yeah. I'll be talking about my journey into a 1940s um, theater watching It's a Wonderful Life this weekend. It was really kind of cool. But it's what we do. Uh, Minnesota Representative Ilan Omar mocks Mike Pence's Christian faith, but she gets to keep her Twitter account. Remember, this lady is a piece of shit. All right. Liberal media forgot to mention Elon was married to her brother in 2017. Several months after Omar's marriage, his store briefly created a national news item. Omar quietly petitioned family court for a divorce, but she was married to her brother. But there was that meeting with Schumer and Pelosi. And for 2.3 seconds, he paused and closed his eye. And Elon Omar said, Jesus, take the wheel and mocked his religion. Michelle Malkin. So Laura Loomer gets kicked off Twitter for calling out Elon Minnesota's Sharia extremism. But Omar anti-Christian bigotry is fine and dandy, right, Jack? And yeah, yeah, she's not booted. She hasn't even had to delete the tweet. I mean, she's part of the, the good, good people. Islam's good, Christianity bad, conservatives bad, liberals good. And all this hate that emanates from our media where I could play probably an hour of horrible shit this week, say. I mean, we still have people going on CNN and MSDNC saying the president wasn't democratically elected. No proof to do that. And all this stuff that's coming out about the Mueller has nothing to do with the election. It's all about his business dealings and hush money, which, you know, Schiff had hush money for a boy. But, you know, hey, that, that's that's fine. This is what we get from it. There were two this week. Two of these sound bites. When your work takes you away, what you bring with you matters. Away makes luggage that works for you, that keeps you moving, keeps you powered, and is yours to keep for life. So you can focus on the big picture and the little moments that get you there. Find your travel uniform at awaytravel.com. Chicago police tonight are investigating an attack that was captured on cell phone video, and some of those watching this attack are heard yelling at the victim, don't vote for Trump. Eyewitness News reporter Will Jones is live in the North Lawndale neighborhood. Will? Alan, this cell phone video is difficult to watch. It all started with a traffic accident near this intersection and quickly spiraled out of control. As this beating was taking place, the conversation turned to politics. 
Cell phone video capturing a 50-year-old man getting beat as onlookers taunt the victim for allegedly voting for Trump. If I vote for somebody, you know, whether Democrat or Republican, that's simply my right, you know. I don't think I need to be jumped on because of that. It happened in the 1100 block of Kesey yesterday afternoon. Investigators say the victim claims a traffic-related argument with three men and two women led to the beating. In the video, you see a man on the ground getting punched and kicked repeatedly by two men as another in the group rummages around in the victim's car. Oh, wow, that's terrible. Did that happen right here in this little section? Oh, wow. The video also shows the victim holding on to his car as one man drives away with it. Tonight, the Chicago Republican Party is saying in a statement, the left is becoming increasingly violent and it's a major concern. We now know that Democratic operatives placed people at the Trump rally in Chicago to promote the violence that occurred there. Democratic leaders need to speak out and put a stop to this behavior. Father Michael Flager is also reacting to the video, saying emotions are raw coming out of this election, but frustration. That is a man getting beat down. Three of the four are in jail now. The one I wanted to play was a kid who went to school. He's white. He's wearing a mega hat. Four black youths beating. I mean, they are curb stomping this motherfucker. Curb stomping. I mean, just kicking him and stomping on his face as he's balled up like a turtle. Did that make the news? Did anybody say, hey, maybe Mika Brzezinski shouldn't be calling people butt boys and all the evil and hate that's coming out of CNN and MSDNC right now probably is leading to people taking violence into their own hands? How about the race angle? If a black child was on the fl- the ground and four white boys are beating the shit out of him wearing mega hats because he was wearing a Hopi changey shirt, do you think we'd see it on the news? Oh, oh, I do think so. As sure as I'm a balding fat man, that shit would be front page news. But I watched this never made the news. Neither case made the news. Santa got us a new Google Home Hub, which, by the way, I set it up for local news and NFL news. I even put Fox News on just to piss them off. I didn't hear it. Google didn't have breaking news. But I bet I would have woke up and said, good morning, Google. And it would have said, this morning, mega motherfuckers beat on a black person. That would be front page. Oh, yeah. Then there's this, which is being ignored, but once again, you know, if you figured out the format of the show, I put a lot of stuff up front that I don't want to get lost, and then I go back and remold shit we've already talked about. This should be in a remold, but it was just so fucking stupid, I had, I had to do it up front. California moles texting fee to help poor people get phones. Yeah, that's right, a, a phone charge for texting, so we can give phones to people who are here illegally. Yeah, I rewrote that for you, because that's what it is. And it's not for American citizens, it's for the illegals. California regulators are considering a plan to charge a fee for text messages on mobile phones to help support programs to make phone services accessible to the poor, according to Newspaper Report Wednesday. Proposal will schedule a vote next month by the Public Utilities Commission. 
the Mercury News reported. The wireless industry and business groups have been working to defeat the plan. It's a dumb idea, said Jim Wonderman, president of the Bay Area Council Business Sponsored Advocacy Group. This is how conversations take place in this day and age, and it's almost like saying there should be a tax on the conversations we have. It's unclear how much money individual consumers would be asked to pay their wireless carrier for texting services on the proposal, the newspaper said, but it's likely would be billed as a flat surcharge, not a fee per text, but... Somebody did tweet it later. California wants to tax us $45 million a year to give illegal cell phones. California will tax themselves into oblivion. That's true. Wonderman said he's unaware of any other local, state, or federal program that taxes texting so they can hand out free phones. Business groups calculated the new charge for the wireless consumers would be $44.5 million. They said that under the regulation proposal, the charge would be applied retroactively for five years and could amount to a bill of more than $220 million for California consumers. The CPUC report proposes the text surcharge says the public purpose program budget has climbed from $670 million in 2011 to $998 million last year. But the telecommunication industry revenue that fund the program fell from $16.5 billion to $11.3 billion. This is unsustainable over time, the report said, arguing that added surcharges on text messages will increase the revenue base that funds programs to help low-income Californians a phone phone service. From the consumer point of view, surcharges may be a wash because if more surcharge revenue come from texting services, less less would be needed for voice services. Jesus, who? how many people are we handing it out to? Other tweets, the populace continues to elect a fair, far left state government, so this is what they get. Should be fun to see how the tax on text goes over. I already get taxed $12 a month in Fed, state, and city taxes for one phone on second to lowest price plan offered by AT&T. Another person, tax these. Why are non-citizens receiving welfare meant for American citizens? Isn't this illegal? Why, yes it is, but California, sanctuary state, don't give a fuck. I'm telling you, this is huge, and it's not for you. Oh, no, 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 no. You could fall on home hard luck, and you can go in and ask, hey, can I get a free phone? They're going to say, go fuck yourself, you red stater. Chicago, I went to Wheaton once a month, twice a month, for years. Three or four of these stations, free phones, big banners. People driving up in fucking Benzes to get their free fucking phone. Yeah. Oh, shit. Then you got Laura Walker, incoming New York Attorney General, plans wide-ranging investigation of the Trump family. The reality is the new incoming Attorney General has already threatened, she's an African-American lady, she's going to dig through her his business dealings. So last podcast we got, we're going to fucking subpoena you because we're in power now. Now it's, we're going to dig through and get our political revenge on somebody illegally doing investigations into nothing. Yeah. Hmm. Big news this week, though, of course, was this. Obamacare was gutted by a Texas federal judge in ruling that casts uncertainty on insurance coverage for millions of U.S. residents. 
Federal judge appointed by George W. Bush sides with Texas in a Republican-led lawsuit to overturn core provisions of the ACA, including the pre-existing condition protections, as unconstitutional. Trump administration backed the lawsuit in court. District court judge strikes down ACA, managed multiple legal doctrines in the process. Blah, blah, blah. Camelia Harris. Make no mistake, Republicans are responsible for the Accordable Care Act being declared unconstitutional by a Texas judge. 19 GOP attorneys general... Attorney Generals, Trump White House support the lawsuit. Now tens of millions of people's health care is at risk. That's truth. Somebody said, well, technically the Constitution is responsible because you couldn't do that. Peter Dow, imagine being a political party whose burning mission is to take health care away from sick people because a black president gave it to them. Yeah. Mm, you knew that was coming. The reality is the Supreme Court did it illegally to begin with, folks. You can't change a law at the Supreme Court level. There's a legislative branch, a judicial branch, and a fucking executive branch. That's our government. It was the checks and balances put in by our founding fathers. Executive branch can't legislate. But since Obama, everybody legislates, so Trump's doing it too. With fucking the pen and his Blackberry. And the judicial branch branch can only say this is constitutional, not constitutional. But that's not what they did. It was a tax all along. The left lied and said it wasn't a tax because that's how the left gets all the shit done. They lie to you and say crazy shit like, well, we just got to get it passed to know what's in the bill. And then when the bill comes out, we're going to subsidize it illegally because that wasn't written in. That's taxation. And that taxation wasn't approved by the American people or anybody who voted for it because they didn't know it was a tax. So when I went to the Supreme Court, they said, well, yeah, you can do that under the Commerce Clause. So go through commerce. They rewrote the fucking bill. All that's unconstitutional. Unconstitutional. The 14th Amendment was for African-American slaves. Not for you to hand out free everything to people that are going to vote for you, Democrats. Jesus, Jay Jehoshaphat. Oh, man, I just I don't even fucking want to go. I, I think it's awesome. They're going to take it to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court's going to do the same thing they did last time, rewrite the fucking law, and it's all going to keep dancing down the road. The reality is the biggest mistake the Democrats ever did was the Affordable Care Act. It's been nothing but a fucking abortion for all of Americans, including me, and my rates have gone up four fucking times. And I'm supposed to have free health care for life. You know, that, that free is going away. Quick two hits before we go into fire for effect. After two years in office, Trump's approval rating matches Obama's at the same point. Wow. Same as Obama's. 46%, 52, and that was Obama's in the same level. People forget that. And then Bernard B. Carrick nails the one that I just don't understand the left. I don't understand this open border. We care more about illegals than we do citizens. And I don't understand their hate of Leos. New Jersey governor, Governor Murphy, is endangering the life of every off-duty New Jersey cop. Gangbangers, drug thugs, and really bad guys don't give a damn about magazine capacity. So he takes the good guy's ammunition, and the bad guys are loaded for bear. He put out a decree that the new law in the state 
applies to off-duty police officers. So, because they couldn't ban guns, because American people don't want that, they play fuck-fuck-goose with the magazine capacity. And up until this point, law enforcement was exempt from it, because when they're off-duty, they're still on-duty. Not anymore. Direct memo to all law enforcement in New Jersey, you can't have the extra magazines either. This is the dumbest shit in the world. All you're doing with these kind of laws is improving the magazine sales in America. Because you're just going to buy, if you say it can't be over eight rounds, then everybody's going to go buy 15 fucking eight round mags, you dipshits. What's the difference? And as I've said from day one on here, every law you put in, you're just making bad guys better shooters. They're just going to start doing practice and rapid reload, pal. It's not going to change anything. They could have a 100-round mag or a 5-round mag. You're just making them better marksmen. And more people die. You're idiots. Let's go to fire for effect. That has been their argument consistently. Flynn uh, dealt with the FBI uh, on a routine basis, but I know from covering the intelligence speed, often these meetings were done to discuss um, the latest intelligence or counterterrorism targets. So he had a very sort of a familiar relationship with the FBI. And if you actually go further into the document, Shep, what it says is that the agents described Flynn as being sort of very jocular and, f- and friendly and offering to show them uh, around the West Wing. But you're quite right. The special counsel's bottom line is that someone like Flynn, with so much military and intelligence experience, should have known or would have known that he just could not make any kind of statements that were misleading uh, to the FBI. But Flynn's lawyers have argued that they did not treat other uh, targets of investigations in a similar manner. They point specifically to George Papadopoulos, who was a Trump campaign aide, and that he was specifically warned about the serious nature uh, of the investigation. And then critics of the special counsel and Director Comey point to the treatment of Hillary Clinton in the email case. She's a very sophisticated target in an investigation Seriously? yet they were yeah that that's okay. that's what they point to well let them point because okay. this is what the prosecutor's pointing to i mean hillary clinton seriously uh, well the point with it the just point with could, that the was point that investigation it, is over and we're mm-hmm. on to a new one and this one is very much underway mm-hmm. and i have a brand new document i'd like to read Catherine. good okay good yeah part one defendants false statements prior to january 24th 2017 and i'll just read it The defendant made his decision to lie about his communications with the Russian ambassador two weeks before his interview with the FBI. On January 12, 2017, the Washington Post published a story asserting that the defendant had spoken with the Russian ambassador on 29 December 2016, the day the United States announced sanctions and other measures against Russia, 
in response to that government's actions intended to interfere with the 2016 election. Why did Obama daddle on Russian hacking? That's the reference point. Then it says, the Post story asked whether the defendant had undercut the sanctions and whether his actions violated the Logan Act. The defendant asked a subordinate member of the presidential transition team to contact the Post on the morning of the 13th and convey false information about the defendant's communications with the Russian ambassador. So to, to be clear here, what happened was the United States notified the Russians, we're putting sanctions on you because you meddled in the election that Americans voted in. So we're sanctioning you. And after they did, Michael Flynn called the Russians. The question is, was there a quid pro quo there? Did he make a promise? They don't answer that. But they do say, you shouldn't have been calling. And of the fact that you called, you lied. So the U.S. places sanctions on Russia. Michael Flynn causes, calls Russia. Michael Flynn lies about calling Russia and tells others to lie for him about calling Russia. That's more Russia lies. And from the very beginning, 17 different people, 80 to 90 different lies, all on different occasions, all about Russia, all without reason, all without context. I remember distinctly the day we found out about the meeting in Trump Tower. One revelation after another revelation. Suddenly there were seven people in the room. Suddenly there were eight people in the room. Suddenly there was a Russian translator in the room and they had knowledge of it, no knowledge of it. They had no memory of this meeting in Trump Tower. They had no memory of the Russian translator. They called it a nothing burger, not a thing. Didn't even remember it, didn't even happen. And all of that was lies. That was Ted Lou speaking for all Democrats, which, let's be honest, they do regulate freedom of speech with their religion of progressivism. They're constantly saying what we can or cannot say, and the media go along with it. Then I played uh, Chef Smith. A lot of angst about Chef Smith lately, because he's an uber-lib. Um, but I don't play it to dog him. I play it to make the point. Do you hear opposing views on CNN or MSDNC ever? I mean, they bring conservatives on, but they speak like liberals. Because you're not authorized to have an opposing opinion on either one of those channels. But here is Fox News, supposedly the boogeyman of all news sources. They are the reason why our country is falling apart and we're all stupid because they put out false news and yada, yada, yada. Well, they have opposing voice. They have somebody on their network who's a liberal and he has a news hour. I just want to make sure that sets in. He has a news hour. Or more than an hour. He has a whole show. You'll never find a conservative show on CNN or MSDNC. So we got to go through this tablet thing. And I kind of put it up front because it's just amazing they thought this was going to work. Um, a lot of journalists were reporting Wednesday... This was last Wednesday. They received a sort of offer they couldn't refuse, but did anyway. Tablet Magazine recently has published a thorough research expose on the anti-Semitism present at the very origins of the Women's March. And just about any reporter even retweeted the link to the story received an email offering them a fact check of Tablet's reporting on the condition that they delete their tweets about the original 
Peace. This is the left. The right would never have the balls to do this. Oh, and also they promise to run anything they intend to publish by the PR outfit first to secure their agreement. At least one journalist decided to go for it and see this fact check for herself. Andrea Gonzalez Ramirez, like everyone else, I got the PR email. I agreed to go off the record because I was curious about the fact check. I didn't agree to delete my tweets or publishing. The doc didn't prove Tablet Magazine reporting was wrong, so I'm sharing the piece again. Another one. I don't know what's up with the comm shop this week. Besides this debacle, I've also had less than stellar interactions with some PR people. I'm just going to say that they're trying to bully journalists. Trying to bully journalists never works. Hearing this, Sharing this tablet article out of sheer spite for this kind of PR manipulation. Another person. Why should be a fact check should be off the record? Isn't that the whole point? To correct the record? I got the same email. Is this some new strategy to discredit someone else's reporting? There are left-leaning outlets that will aggregate a ham sandwich that don't seem interested in this tablet story, even to criticize it. You didn't hear it anywhere. They, uh, the email appears to have been sent by Inaru Melendez, communication coordinator for Megaphone Strategies, a self-described non not-for-profit social justice media strategy firm. Megaphone Strategies was also co-founded by, wait for it, Van Jones. Yeah, Van Jones was part of this group. And this is the kind of stuff that they did during Obama. And it works. Because let's be honest, right now, there is nobody from major networks talking about this. Basically, all this did was quantify it. But this is the kind of stuff the left does with the media. And the media goes with it for righty or for lefty causes. This is the email. The Women's March dispute that the Los Angeles and Georgia chapters are no longer part of the National Network attempts to reach the L.A. and Georgia chapters. The Women's March were unsuccessful at the time of this update. According to a report in Refinery29, the L.A. chapter is currently in a trademark dispute with the Women's March, Inc. And related email from March 2018 seen by tablet today includes an L.A. chapter head, Amelia Guerrero, strongly implying that there is no working relationship. The following chapters of the Women's March were not included in the list of regional groups that had disaffiliated with the Women's March. Florida, Portland, Barcelona, Women's March Global. An earlier version misstated the sum of sponsoring money and misidentified it as a source. The correct sum is $167,299, not $169,000. And the source was the Gathering for Justice, not the Women's March. An earlier version incorrectly stated that none of the other women in the attendance would speak openly in Tablet about the meeting. In fact, at press time, Tablet had contacted or spoken about six of the seven people present in the meeting, the seventh person, Cassidy Fenlay, reached today, offered a description of the events that aligned with the version described in the piece. An earlier version of the story misstated the chronologically, chronolog- chronology of Vanessa Rubel's departure from the Women's March, blah, blah, blah. I just totally fucked up because that wasn't the email. That was her doing a fact check on the article. Which basically proved that everything Tablet said was right. Yari Roseberg. So you may have heard PR firm expla- claiming Tablet was going to correct our 10,000 word Women's March expose where there were all four changes. They do not sustainably change the piece, but they do strengthen it. We understand how many local marches have already broken away. 
Peter J. Hassan. Washington's Women's March group disbands amid anti-Semitism. Angie Beam, a spoke a Spokane Valley resident who serves the board president of the Women's March, announced the dissolution of the state group on Facebook on Thursday, citing the national organization's ties to Louis Farrakhan. But you're not going to hear that from the establishment. You don't know who Randy Weingarten is. She's the president of the American Teachers Union. While we don't agree on everything, Linda Sossauer and Tamika D. Mallory are warriors for justice. I'm honored to know them and work with them and call them friends. Glad to get have this meeting today with them at Skynebaum debunking myths. Somebody on the left, a woman. You're all garbage in your own special way. Anti-Semitism is accessible for the teachers movement or teachers union. Duly noted. Duly noted. That is just unbelievable. This is happening all the time, though. We just get to see behind the curtain, but this is every time. Whenever a bad story, I am guaranteeing PR firms, Hillary's campaign sent every news source talking points for the email, and people like Chuck Todd did it for him. I mean, he just did it. This isn't that important. To other crazy shit, Sports Illustrated, in her first public statements in September, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford presents Sports Illustrated Inspiration of the Year Award to Rachel Dollenhaller. Somebody asked, what does she have to do with sports? Mark Hemingway. It is deeply discomforting to see the media treat Blasey Ford as heroic like Dollenhaller when... We have no idea whether any of her accusations were true, and we do know several people declined to confirm them, and she basically lied. Yeah, lied. (laughs) SI, fucking ESPN. Every, every fucking news source you get for uh, for sports news right now is some liberal. Because they all are dropouts from the New York Times got lost. They shut down their sports department and went to fucking, we'll just reprint ESPN shit. I mean, seriously. The exodus from sports has been pretty huge lately because people aren't paying for the shit, just like ESPN, because they're libs. They don't, they don't even stick to fucking sports. And then we had the Google hearings. I touched it briefly last podcast. Here are some soundbots from the dams. But before we delve into these questions, I must first dispense with a completely illegitimate issue, which is the fantasy dreamed up by some conservatives that Google and other online platforms have an anti-conservative bias. As I have said repeatedly, no credible evidence supports this right-wing conspiracy theory. I have little doubt that my Republican colleagues will spend much of their time presenting a laundry list of anecdotes and out-of-context statements made by Google employees as supposed evidence of anti-conservative bias but none of that will actually make it true. But this fact-free propaganda does help generate the mistrust that the majority leader referred to a few moments ago. And even if Google were deliberately discriminating against conservative viewpoints, just as Fox News and Sinclair Broadcasting and conservative talk radio hosts like Rush Limbaugh discriminate against liberal points of view, that would be its right as a private company to do so not to be questioned by government. Now, in there, that is Representative Nadler. And the reason why is as follows. Who is his top donor? 
They say you want to know the truth, you need to follow the money. Well, the results don't look particularly kindly upon Democratic Representative Jerry Nadler. The Daily Caller reported that during a congressional hearing, Google CEO Sunchar Pacha, Nadler was quick to defend Google and took direct aim at the Republican colleagues. For the questions, I must dispense the complete illegitimate issue, blah, 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 blah. You heard it. In an area of the Democrats crowning about a transparency in government, there was a decidedly lack of it coming from Nadler. OpenSecrets.org published a list of his donors showing that his top donor, Alphabet Inc., contributed $26,458 to his campaign. So that pretty much does it. GOP, don't have any sound bites. I'm not going to read the article. They grilled him, but it isn't going to change anything. It's not going to change a goddamn thing. Cheryl Ackerson, I missed the Google hearing. Did anyone mention for context that in 16, Google's parent company Alphabet was Hillary's top donor and was run by Eric Schmidt, who offered himself up as Hillary's campaign advisor? Well, we already did on the show. And at the start of the election cycle, Google funded a nonprofit that coined the crackdown on fake news, which meant conservative interest and was promoted by President Obama, Hillary, and Media Matters before Trump ultimately co-opted the phrase. Nope, not a single word. But Nadler spent the whole time defending them. Also, Cheryl Ackerson, thanks to Twitter friend who caught this, is it normal for views of a video to go from 25,000 to five? She said, Twitter shrank my views from 28 to 5,000 and now 2,000. Pretty soon it'll be invisible with negative news. Yeah, that's it. fucking Twitter. What, what's the difference? Liberal media blast conservatives deny Google bias exists. Yeah, of course. Of course they're going to do. But we talk about it every show. It's not going to happen. Mother Jones, Gizmodo, The Hill... Everybody does it. But here are 12 questions that really need to be answered and will never be answered. Ever, ever, ever. They'll never be answered. One, Mr. Pachai, you and your colleagues have denied that Google search engine deliberately re-ranks search results for political purposes. But your search algorithm routinely favors one thing over another. One comparative shopping service, for example, is one political candidate. It designed this way or not. I will say lately, I did something about... um, I did it just to check it out. It was the, uh, I got the Google Hub, and I searched, is homosexuality a perversion? The top four things were religious articles, and then it was all liberal stuff. So maybe they fucked around with it during these hearings to try to play, you know, the funk on the nasty dunk. But you you search something positive, Trump. You're not getting it. You're not going to get it. You're going to get CNN, WAPO, New York Times. Trump sucks. Number two, are you aware that when your search results do favor one political candidate over another, that will shift the voting preferences of a large number of undecided voters? Stupid question. They know that. That's why they do it. Three, research suggests that Google can easily shift the voting preferences at least 20% of undecided voters in this way. Up to 80% of undecided voters in some demographic groups entirely without people being aware of it. How do you feel about that? We love it. That's what we do. That's why we have our end of year meeting that we played on the show. And it literally says, hey, we're going to manipulate shit, especially on immigration. Four, does Google have a policy regarding its ability to influence elections? If so, what is that policy? If not, what sort of policy do you think Google should have? Five, your election actions are disturbing in their own. We all saw or should have seen the post-2016 election video leaked to Breitbart. 
We watch Google co-founder Sergey Brin say that most people here are pretty upset and pretty sad because Trump won and it went downhill from there. How are we supposed to believe your organization is neutral? Well, the problem is everybody else that listened to it and the media, they said it was doctored. Or they didn't talk about it. Six, our part showed a leaked email from Google Multicultural Marketing Department had Alana Murillo, who seemed to have been running a partisan get-out-the-vote for Latinos. Covered it on the show. Seven, part Daily Caller showed a leaked communication from a Google engineer saying that your company should pay, play a hand in reversing the 2016 election. Showed it on the show. Google's parent is number eight. Alphabet and his staff gave more than four times as much money to Democrats. Talked about it on the show. Nine, Google employees are complaining that there isn't much diversity of opinion. Only 12% of conservatives who work at Google believe that there is diverse political opinion. Engineer James Damar was fired for having that opinion, and then the media blacklisted and didn't talk about it. Ten, in 2009, Google accidentally blacklisted almost every website and effectively shut down the Internet. Does Google have the power to shut down the Internet? How do we know that Google isn't accidentally blacklisting the wrong sites? Eleven, does Google believe it needs legal oversight for its search algorithms or any legal restrictions on what it can and cannot censor? Twelve, there has been a pattern of Google blocking political ads. It's disturbing. Why did Google block an ad for Tennessee Republican Marsha Blackburn ahead of the November election? Google said the ad, which featured left-wing protesters interrupting Senator-elect Blackburn's moment of silence for the victim of the Tree of Life shooting, too shocking to run. In Canada, Google also shut down the ad account of a Toronto mayoral candidate just 48 hours before polls opened. All of this is for... It'll never get fixed. Because what does the media run with this week? Well, here's good old Jennifer Rubin. You have the President of the United States continually attacking the press and saying that the press is fake news, the enemy of the people, that it has real-world consequences. And let's not forget, we, last month we were dealing with pipe bombs that were being sent to the leaders within the Democratic Party by someone who took those, took those messages of the President uh, dangerously to heart. Jennifer, mm-hmm. um, to Gabriel's point... At what point are we going to hear more Republicans, uh, congressional Republicans who aren't retiring, who (laughs) who aren't leaving Capitol Hill, but who are still going to be there, stand up to the president, stand up for their party, and stand up for the country when its democratic institutions are under attack? Well, I would have hoped this would have happened a long, long time ago, and I'm not terribly optimistic. I will say this, though. There are a few Republicans in blue and purple states who are up in 2020. Joni Ernst being one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Iowa. you have. Uh, exactly, in, in Iowa. And it's those people, I think, who. And Cory uh, Gardner in Colorado. It's those people who better start putting some distance between themselves and the president before they face the voters. So if there's any hope, I think it would be in those people. And I will say one other thing. My greatest hope, and this is how desperate mm-hmm. we all are, is really Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney ho- owes nothing to this <laughs> wow. president. And he can at least say something. Something. He doesn't have to do anything. But I would say something on the domestic terrorism, and it is domestic terrorism. Here's where Democrats can make a difference. The, they need to hold hearings on domestic right-wing terrorism mm-hmm. and explore these things. They have to make 
legislative proposals. This president has essentially denied um, the phenomenon of domestic terrorism because he wants to go after uh, Muslims. Um, and it is a threat to the country. Um, we not only saw the pipe bombs, but we saw someone motivated by the caravan to go into a temple in Pittsburgh and no, kill um, you know, innocent uh, people. So I think um, it would do a great service to the country and maybe deter him a little bit if this were yep. presented as a policy issue, a serious policy issue and a national security threat. Yeah. Republicans, right-wing terrorism's everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. And then we find out it was a lefty, and then we stop talking about it. Every shooting. That's the way it is. Fuck it. It's a waste. You're never going to fix Google, Facebook. It's just not going to fix. The, the, the liberal world is social. That's why you can't say anything on Twitter, and everybody else can say whatever the fuck they want. That's why you can't Google shit. I spend more time making my podcast doing crazy Google searches to get around Google's algorithm, which is to brainwash me into be a progressive. Who's a smear machine? PolitiFact hails harsh Parkland teen leftists on lie of the year. This really fucking blew my mind. The independent fact checker, PolitiFact, who we've shown is not independent, which is why this is surprising, displayed their liberal stripes again this week by hailing the liberal students' activists of Parkland High School as the victimized heroes of the 2018 lie of the year. The online smear machine that tried to take down Parkland students was singled out as the very worst. The PolitiFact online ballot for the liberal audience consisted of five Trump statements, one by Trump advisor Larry Kudlow, the Parkland smear machine, and then each one of the socialist Bernie Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez. The attacks against Parkland students stand out because of their sheer vitriol. Holy shit, I didn't catch... I didn't read the article. I'm a dumbass. It doesn't surprise me, PolitiFact. It, it, never mind. Should we redo this segment? We won't. Everybody laugh. I fucked that whole segment up because I thought they actually, they said they were, oh, Jesus. Well, as usual, uh, there were online smears about Parkland students like the notion that David Hogg was a crisis actor, was from California, not Florida, but liberals like the PolitiFact crew can't acknowledge that Hogg and his fellow teenage activists dropped a lot of smears wherever they went. And uh, Newsbusters Kyle Drennan assembled a list. During appearance at CNN New Day on February 19th, Hamba labeled National Rifle Association child murders and fellow Stoneman Douglas student Emma Gonzalez addressed Republicans who accept campaign contributions for the NRA. They accept this blood money. I'm not going through all this shit again. Fuck it. We already saw it. We heard it. They will be on our end of year show because they're all fucking tards. U.S. Senator Bill Cassidy, one week, year ago, this week, after Trump administration and the reversed anti-innovation internet regulations instituted by the previous administration in 2015, CNN falsely reported the end of the internet as we know it. Hey, the internet's still working just fine. I had to throw that in there because I just thought that should be the lie of the year. If you want to talk about lies of the year, <laughs> lies of the year was that... Changing net neutrality was going to kill us all. Other lie of the year? NBC ignores judge ordering Stormy Daniels to pay $300,000 because she fucking lied. Yeah. Other lies of the year? Judicial Watch. Breaking. Judicial Watch releases two sets of heavily redacted State Department docs showing classified info was researched and disseminated to multiple senators by the Obama administration immediately prior to the president taking his oath. 
38 pages and 48 pages showing the classified information which was researched and disseminated to multiple U.S. senators by the Obama administration immediately prior to Trump's inauguration. The documents reveal that Senator Mark Warren, Democrat, Carbon, Democrat, and Corker, Republican, were handed these documents. Judicial Watch obtained the documents through a FOIA uh, State Department in 2018, February. It took all this time to get it, to get this stuff, but it basically shows within it they were handing this stuff to try to fuck over Trump and that it wouldn't be suppressed because they knew it was bullshit, but they needed it for their party line. Their fi- following tweets, GW obtained the docs via FOIA. Last minute effort to share classified info on Russian interference with Democratic Senator Ben Cardin. The new documents reveal that Obama State Department urgently gathered classified Russia investigation information and then disseminated it to the members of the Congress just hours before Trump was inaugurated. JW President Tom Fitton, these documents show remarkable evidence of a nonstop unethical effort within the Obama State Department to gather and send its own dossier of classified info on Russia in an effort to discredit the incoming president does that surprise anybody no we already knew it it was already out there so i mean it's not a surprise it's now just truth and of course no media is going to cover that they're going to ignore it because judicial watch even though they do against the right and the left their judicial watch they're considered a conservative thing because of the last Eight years, they had to be the only people to put out what Obama was doing. I mean, fuck. Also in line with this, before we go into immigration, which is just fucking unbelievable. I mean, I should have opened the show with this, but I had to do the butt boy comments. Breaking. According to congressional sources, Representative Adam Schiff used taxpayer money to reach a sexual harassment settlement with a 19-year-old male in 2013. Congress has a hush fund, and we the people demand the users be revealed. I want you to know that, because what you're hearing now is the hush money, and that's how they're going to try to get Trump. We talked about it on the show. I spilled coffee all over myself. Fucking House and Senate have been doing this for a year. But I just want to make sure you understand the guy that gets carted around on Meet the Press is the goddamn end-all, be-all on the Russian investigation. He sexually arrested a boy. I don't give a fuck he's 19. That's a boy. But news and social media nuggets will show us the left loves little boys. Mm. Little boys can be sexual ob- objects. And they're crazy, oh God, we got to protect the fucking transgenders that don't need to be protected because there's not enough of them to protect. Let's go into immigration. This fuck, y'all, oh, fuck me. Our medical teams provide life-saving care to those who need it most in crisis situations around the world. You can help Doctors Without Borders save lives. Donate at givetodoctors.org. But April, I want to ask you about what Nancy Pelosi then said about the wall behind closed doors, right? This quote, it's like a manhood thing for him as if manhood would ever be associated with him. This wall thing. Okay, (laughs) that is a pretty nasty thing to say. Let's just say that. And uh, it's going to make Trump mad. 
of course it's going to make the president mad, but you have to remember what happened in the Oval Office for the world to see. When he demeaned her and she said, do not characterize my strength uh, as I am in leadership and, and you know, receive this new job. This is along the lines of what the president does with women. We've seen it. I've seen it. I've felt it. And now Nancy Pelosi have had it, but she fought back. We saw a little bit of her Baltimore roots. I know she's San Francisco, but we saw a little bit of her Baltimore roots, her political roots come back, and she was fighting against President Trump with this. Now, during the seven-year-old little girl, which for the record is just fucking horrible. I mean, it's a horrible story. But how the media manipulated, lied, and ran off with lies forever, knowing they were lying, doesn't surprise me. This entire thing has been a lie. From the cages, to the separating family, to the CS. None of these have ever been told truthfully that Obama did it, and it was okay with Obama, and you motherfuckers didn't care. That shit, just, we don't care. Truth is not what we do here. We don't do truth. We do bullshit. Here are other things along with it. It wasn't good enough just to go with the seven-year-old girl, which was started pretty much by Hillary Clinton. BuzzFeed, there are astounding 14,794 golf courses in the United States, according to the National Golf Association. More than twice the number of roughly 6,000 individuals currently in Tijuana seeking asylum. What does that, what, Momo sums it up. There are 5,498 bowling alleys in the United States and 45,000 used car lots and 90,000 of American homes and microwave ovens. And there are 1,362,000 guinea pigs in the United States. Are we just citing statistics? Because I have a lot more. What are you trying to say with that? Rich liberals got, Obama was the golfing president for fuck's sake. What was, I don't know. But when you're just trying to play bullshit, because that's all you got, I guess that's what you roll with. Hillary Clinton. There are no words to capture the horror of a seven-year-old girl dying in dehydra- of dehydration in U.S. custody. What's happening at our borders is a humanitarian crisis. Jim Carrey, now an innocent seven-year-old girl, has died of medical neglect because of Trump's sadism at the border. Is there a hell? I'm not going to read all the replies. Most of them are, you're an idiot and you're lying. Benny will start us getting out of the fog. This poor child was smuggled illegally to America from Guatemala. Her trip was horrific. She was given no food or water by her cartel smuggler for days while in Mexico. Days. All anger and horror here should be directed to the illegal smuggler trade made possible by open borders. Just got off a call with DHS officials. This child was horrifically sick as she was brought into our country because of her horrific treatment by smugglers. Our border agents did everything in their power to save her. To somehow blame the U.S. here is sick partisan tactic. There is the only one reason for the horrific death of this little girl. It's our open borders. Period. They act as a magnet for evil criminals to prey on poor, vulnerable migrants like this little girl. Her blood is on their hands, not our Border Patrol agents. But nowhere in this seven-year-old migrant girl taken into Border Patrol custody dies of dehydration and exhaustion do they tell the truth. CNN, a seven-year-old Guatemalan girl has died in U.S. Customs and Border Protection. A source with the agency told CNN, the Washington Post reported Thursday that the girl died of dehydration and septic shot after being taken at the, by the Border Patrol. NPR, 
Eight hours after a seven-year-old girl and her father were taken into Border Patrol custody, she began having seizures and her body temperature reached 105.7. She died less than 24 hours after being flown to a hospital. Somebody on that one. Woman has an abortion. Monster, murder, baby killer. Child in U.S. custody dies of thirst. Well, what can you do? Ben Rhodes. Little girl deserves so much better. Don't ever give in to the dehumanization rhetoric about caravans and immigrants. This is where it all leads. Every child has dignity dignity that must be cherished. Every fucking loser fucking Hollywood person ran with the WAPO article. Let's fact check. Was a seven-year-old girl in Border Patrol custody for a week before dying of dehydration? Hmm. Politico reported in its Huddle newsletter Friday that a seven-year-old Guatemalan girl died a week after being taken to Border Control custody. Top House Democrats are calling for a full investigation of the death of a seven-year-old girl from Guatemala who died of dehydration and shock just one week after she was taken into Border Patrol custody. Lay people on Twitter also claimed Friday the girl was in Border Patrol custody for a week. Jake Keller, which part of she died of dehydration after being in Border Patrol custody for a week are you choosing not to understand? Why do you people who value the law and order instinct ignore the empathy instinct of do you have any of them? Asking for a friend! There are fucking children dying in custody of Border Patrol. Children! A seven-year-old little girl of dehydration is shocked her being in custody. Ah! A seven-year-old girl died of dehydration and shocked her being in the custody of Border Patrol for a week. How are you people okay with this? How? Outrage! We have no facts! Outrage! Verdict. False. The girl was in Border Patrol custody for around eight hours before local emergency service transported her to El Paso Hospital. The Department of Homeland Security said she probably had not eaten or had water for several days... The girl died after less than 24 hours in the hospital. Fact check. News outlets reported the girl about a girl's death about a week after the incident. Border Patrol took the seven-year-old and her father in custody on December 6th outside of Lordsburg, New Mexico. The Washington Post reported Thursday they were part of a group of 163 migrants who approached the border agents to turn themselves in. Around eight hours of being taken in custody, the girl started having seizures, poorly and not eaten, blah, 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 blah. They told WAPO. But WAPO didn't put this on the front. They didn't make it claim, you know, hey, let's get the truth out there that, um, you know, we're looking at a girl that was drugged through a desert, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. We're going to do the negative because we don't like Trump. We want open borders now because Democrats want open borders, so we got to report that way. Border Patrol emergency medical technicians took the girl to a temperature of a 105.7, took her to the hospital, DHS said the girl was revived to the hospital after going into cardiac arrest. However, the child did not recover and died less than 24 hours later. Politico issued a correction after an inquiry from the DCNF. It updated the online archives of the newsletter to say the girl died less than 40 hour, 48 hours after she was taken in Border Patrol custody. DHS told D, the DCNF that the girl was in Border Patrol custody for eight hours, while WAPO and Associated Press reported that suggested that she was in custody for up to an hour or so longer. CBP records, WAPO reports, show that she was taken in custody about at 10 p.m. and started having seizures nearly eight and a half hours later. Um... Associated Press reported the girl and her father and the rest of the group of migrants were taken custody at 9.15 p.m. and then transported in two groups via bus. The girl and her father boarded the bus at 4.30 a.m. 
Arrived at 6 a.m. The girl poorly vomited on the bus, was not breathing when she arrived. AP said that she died in the hospital around midnight, December 8th, little more than 24 hours after being apprehended. Politico noted that the House Democrats, including Congressional Hispanic Caucus Chairman-elect Hosan Castro and Rep- California Republican Lucille Roboa Alana Bachama, we got a hyphen name, your douchebag, called for a full investigation of the seven-year-old's death. It's not clear whether the border agents knew the girl was dehydrated and ill or whether she was given anything to eat or drink. AP reported that a Border Patrol form completely shorted after since she detained she was showing no signs of sickness. The form appeared to be signed by her father. DHS said ZPB Office of Professional Responsibility will investigate the whole fucking thing, as they always do for deaths. Once again, we're begging parents to not put themselves or their children at the risk by coming illegally. Every year, the Border Patrol saves hundreds of people who are overcome by the elements between our ports of entry. Unfortunately, despite our best efforts, couldn't do shit for this kid because he was already about to die. DHS offered condolence. And a death review from 2012 to 2015, more stats, reveals substandard medical care and violations of applicable detention standards. Two independent medical experts consulted by Human Rights Watch conclude that the failure probably contributed to seven of the 18-day detainees to die under Obama's custody. The death review released by Immigration and Custom Enforcement cover 18 of the 31, I'm sorry, 31 deaths Occurring since 2012, ICE has not released a review of the other 13 deaths of that time period. Yeah. These death reviews show the system-wide problems remain, including a failure to prevent or fix substandard medical care that literally kills people. When Obama, a shitload of people died. But they don't care. They don't care. So this site I got it from, just to see how many people retweet this, we're going to retweet it again. Oh, Zeno Castro was one. But it looks like the proud, undocumented, unafraid Mexican-American intersectionalist feminist Erica Andola deleted it, likely because her claim was that the seven-year-old Jacqueline Kang McQuinn had died alone. And the CBP detention facility was an outright lie. She died in a hospital. CNN's Jake Tapper revealed Saturday night that Guatemalan consul Takaki Pachanga has spoken extensively with Jacqueline's father. Guatemalan consul Takaki Pakaka, these are tweets, tells CNN, Adada said, uh, he met extensively with the father of the seven-year-old Jacqueline Kale McQuinn, Friday night in El Paso. Penguin says the father of Jacqueline had no complaints about how the Border Patrol agents treated him and his daughter. The council said the father told him the agents did everything they possibly could to help the girl on the bus. The father, per consul, confirmed the DHS timeline that Jacqueline did not show any signs of distress until after 5 a.m., when they were placed on a bus to ride from the border checkpoint to the Border Patrol station 95 miles away. Has anyone told Hillary Clinton? Because she was seriously pretending to care about this poor kid, somebody asked. Hillary Clinton, you see in this? America is the greatest nation on earth no matter how hard you try to paint, depict it as awful. You are what's awful. Oh yeah, you lost and I'm proud to say I helped in that. Because she made such a big deal. Richard Lewis, who the fuck have we become? God bless this little saint. We're the ones who tried to save her, you dipshit. Her dad, a third-world idiot who tried to enter illegally, drug her through the desert. Her name was Jacqueline Kale. Her and her dad were seeking asylum in the U.S. She died alone in the Hyalera. These inhuman facilities, commonly known as Hyaleras or ice boxes, is what the Border Patrol uses to hold immigrants. She deleted it. 
Brian Ross, it takes upwards of 10 days to die of dehydration. Why would you ignore the fact that her family is responsible for child abuse? The child spent 17 hours in a pediatric pediatric ICU in El Paso before dying. She was not alone. Her father was with her. She was never in Hyera, and she was flown by a helicopter. They did everything to save her. CNN finally, on the 15th, puts out an article, the final hours of seven-year-old Guatemalan girl. CNN lays out the facts in a timeline fashion. They show that the seven-year-old physical distress was evident before the family was processed. As soon as condition was realized, steps were taken. When initially detained, they were asked about medical care. Jacqueline's father signed a form saying all everybody was healthy. Just hours later, she started puking. Once they arrived at the facility, she had a 105 temperature and needed emergency care. Jacqueline was airlifted to the hospital. At the hospital, she was revived a third time. She was found to have a swollen brain and suffered liver failure. Hours later, she died of septic shock. Not included in the timeline piece is a record of the days leading to the family crossing our border at a remote locale in New Mexico. It is estimated the seven-year-old has gone days without food and water. Malnourished and dehydration do not occur in a short time. AG conservative. You can either blame the father for taking her on this journey or blame no one. But it's despicable that the media is going out of their way to blame CBP when there is zero evidence they did anything other than their jobs to try to save her life. The people who want you arrested for letting your kids walk a dog around the block unattended suddenly place no blame on a father who dragged his daughter across the desert with no water. Yeah. No water. No food. No nothing. AG conservative. This was retweeted by incoming Congresswoman Ocasio Corza. Anyone who did even 30 seconds of research would know this is a blatant lie. The little girl died in a hospital. She was never held in such a facility. These people are despicable liars. And that was the activist who lied. From NBC News report, she was revived twice by emergency workers and transported by air to a spa hospital in El Paso, Texas, where she died of cardiac arrest with her father by her side. Tragic story. However, I do not believe she died alone in Hyera. Also, at the first area she was held at, the migrants had access to food and water. She was already beyond the point of health. Her father made choices at every point the way that caused this. This is an abject lie about the events and or Ocasio 2018. To retweet this as an ignorance of the facts should be held up as warning about those politicizing these stories. If you have to lie, you do not have authority on the issue. No, you don't. Just this week alone, smugglers packed 19 migrants in a pickup truck. I'm sure they were all healthy. Terrorists who stabbed two Americans in Amsterdam said he'd do it again. Tijuana officials, some caravan migrants breaking into homes, and the one the media totally ignored while they're running around lying about a seven-year-old dying. Caravan migrants de- demand 50K each to go home. Removal of U.S. bases everywhere in the world. Now they got demands. But I'm not surprised about anything. All they have is emotions. Remember, their playbook is emotions, not facts. And the facts remain, more people died in Obama's custody. More families were separated in Obama's custody. More CS was used in Obama's custody than Trump's. And every time one of these stories come out, ABC, NBC, CNN, New York Times, WAPO, NPR, you lie. You know, Politico started the lie. You know you're lying. 
you know the facts to be something else, and you run a lie to help undermine the President of the United States, who I don't like, but for Christ's sake, the violence is ratcheting up, people are getting beat the fuck down, you're making Americans hate other Americans, all for your desire for power to have a Democrat back in the White House. But you're lying. Willfully lying. I want Jim Acosta, Chuck Todd, Don Lemon, justify why lying to the American people is protected under the Constitution and the First Amendment. Show me where it says that. We don't have fake news coming from Fox News, which I don't watch. But every day you lie on CNN, MSNBC, willfully lying and misrepresenting facts to push a political narrative. Fucking shame on all of you. To a Christmas music break. That was a neat transition. And we'll go into hate tweets. Wait till you hear what Gillibrand said. On the island to the Sunset Strip Somebody's gonna make a happy trip Tonight While the moon is bright He's gonna have a bag of crazy toys To give the corners of the girls and boys all day Santa comes on day You come a-calling when the snow's the most are sleeping warm as toes And you gonna flip with old Saint Nick Raise a lick on a peppermint stick You come flying from a higher place You fill the stocking by the fireplace So you Have a you that's Somebody's gonna make a happy trip tonight While the moon is bright He's gonna have a bag of crazy toys To give the corners of the girls and boys So dig, Santa comes on big Come calling when the snow's the most Cats are sleeping warm as toes and you gonna flip when the old Saint Nick Pays a lick on the peppermint stick You come a-flying from the higher place Fill the stockings by the fireplace So you 
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Hey, tweet of the day! We got a poll we should put up at some point. I did notice in that poll that the top three were, uh, uh, I think, uh, Biden, Bernie, and Beto. All, three B's and all white guys. In a, in a party as diverse as ours, does it worry you to see the top three being white guys? Yes. <laughs> Why? Why? Um, I, I, I just, I aspire for our country to recognize the beauty of our diversity in some point in the future. And I hope someday we have a woman president. Uh, I love the fact that Barack Obama was our president for eight years. I hope more people of color not only aspire and win the presidency, because that's what makes America so extraordinary, that we are all of that. We are everything. And I think a more inclusive America is a stronger America. I read that New Yorker article today, and I thought, gosh, how pointless is my life, and how pointless is the, are the decisions that I'm making on a day-to-day -day basis when we are not focused on climate change every day, when it's not leading every one of our newscasts. Holy fucking shit. I'm really worried about the top options because they're white. White men are bad. And coming from Van Jones, who's the one that asked the question, of course, they're still trying to look for another messiah. We need to have that fucking Latina, black person, gay person, straight person, because we can't push our policies without the ability to tell everybody to shut the fuck up. You're a racist, sexist, homophobe. That's how we govern. Second one was a Katie Tour, man. I've been sitting on that for a couple of weeks. I had no place to put it, so I put it there. Uh, CNN Newsroom. This one's hilarious. Uh, President Trump said yesterday 10 terrorists have been caught at the border. Jim Sciutto fact checks it. DSS, DHS did not provide evidence of a single terrorist caught at the southern border over the last short period of time, as the president claimed. The president has now twice used the threat of terrorism to justify the wall. Facts supplied by DHS don't back that up. Well, here's the beauty of the Internet. When you lie on CNN, people can prove you as a liar. Tyler Q. Holton, spokesman, DHS. We are happy to provide the facts that you did not request, but you never reached out. In fact, DHS prevented 3,755 known or suspected terrorists from traveling to or entering the U.S. in fiscal year 17. That's in addition to the 17,526 criminals, 1,019 gang members, and 3,028 special interest aliens. Hashtag facts first. <laughs> Woo! You fucking liars. Daisy Fuentes Marks. Hey, TSA. The fact that I have to remove my sweater, which was only covering a tank top, but the woman in front of me was not required to remove any part of her full burqa or head wrap, which covered her entire head and face, is absolute bullshit. 
How are we all okay with this? Hashtag fact. My comment clearly was not about Muslims or minorities. Religious beliefs should not be ex- exempt anyone for following the law. That's my point. I described the clothing because that's what sh- she happened to be wearing. Also applies to nuns or anyone except from law belie- because of beliefs. She had to do that because, of course, she got clubbed. Richard Marks, her husband. He isn't about politics or conservatism. Donald Trump himself has put air in the lungs of thousands, if not millions, of his nation's racists. They now think they have a voice because their voice is his too. They all must be called out and shouted down. We can all choose. You can choose to be anti-Muslim or you can choose to be anti-terrorist. Yet so many choose not to even bother to make the distinction. (laughs) That was like the day prior. You know their house isn't doing very well. Alexander Cortez, one of the most about talked about people in Washington, D.C. She's even been entered Congress yet. In response to some of that, pollster Nate Silver floated this theory about what motivates Ocasio-Cortez's critics. There's a lot of reasons Cortez drives certain Republicans crazy. Foremost, her race and gender. But it's also that she's quintessentially a New Yorker and D.C. political culture is formal and prudish when New York City mostly isn't those things. Everybody in the world? No, not really. Every time she talks about socialism or the three branches of government or the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, she displays her astounding ignorance. It is crippling to watch. Democratic socialists like Bernie Sanders and Alexander Cortez are all the rage with both the media and the Democratic Party, redundant, we know, and our go-to visual aid for describing the Democratic Socialist platform used to these barriers carried by the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. Fortunately, we have a new visual aid courtesy of the steering committee of the Democratic Socialists of America in San Francisco. Aw, check that out. They all got matching hammer and sickle tattoos on their middle fingers. The entire world asked, do you know what the hammer and sickle did to people? That's the other reason people don't like Ocasio-Cortez. She also threatens people with subpoena powers. But that's Nate Silvers, folks. Nate Silvers is supposed to be this quintessential nonpartisan pollster. And it, as usual, we see he's not nonpartisan, Period. Other great hate tweets. This is my hate of Hillary. Hillary Clinton ditches her nationwide speaking tour because nobody showed the fuck up. Yeah. Another one. Culture of death versus the culture of life. And seven tweets. On Sunday, as Hanukkah wound up closed, Palestinian terrorists attacked Jews waiting for a bus, targeting them with the hail of bullets, which our media ignored. A pregnant woman and the baby she was carrying were hit, among others. Here is how two cultures reacted to the murderous attack and a story of death, life, and God's providence told in seven tweets. A.V. Meyer. Hamas has welcomed tonight's Palestinian shooting attack in which a pregnant Israeli woman and six others were wounded, calling it a blessed demonstration of the ability of the resistance to hurt enemies in its most sensitive places. Ishman. The Popular Front and Liberation of Palestine, or PFLP, also commented on the heroic offer operation in which people waiting for a bus were sprayed by terrorist bullets. Pregnant woman and her baby, born 10 weeks early in an attempt to save it, are fighting for their life. Just think, the family of the pregnant woman who was shot yesterday by a terrorist are praying that the baby will survive. The family of the terrorist who shot the mother can look forward to a lifetime of monthly payments as reward. Yeah, 
They get paid. They're martyrs. They get the martyr payment. Does it get much sicker than that? A short time ago, a despicable terrorist fired from a vehicle at Israelis, including a pregnant woman, an Afra. Once caught, the Palestinian Authority will pay the terrorist a monthly salary, as this is a part of the PA's incitement campaign, which is encourages such attacks. Nikki Haley, these payments need to stop. They never will. Here are the Hebrew names of the young Israeli couple shot by terrorists. Your prayers of full recovery are welcome. Mother, Shira Yelbat Laura Sara. Father, Amachai Yashai Ben Gila. I'm not mocking that because that's how Jewish people are maimed, for those who want to ask why I didn't mock them. Baby who, who had to be delivered at 30 weeks to knock Ben Shira Yalha. Her parents say that Shira opened her eyes when they visited the intensive care and cried. She's stable, but in a serious condition as her premature baby, according to reports. Her husband was shot three times a leg by a terrorist and is improving. Hmm. Media ignores it. Community comes together at funeral for abandoned newborn baby found dead in a box. This is in California. Last week, about 70 people in Corona, California gathered to pay their respects at a funeral held for an abandoned and unidentified newborn baby that was found four months prior on the side of the highway. The baby known as Baby Jane Doe was found deceased on July 27th on the side of Interstate 15, wrapped in a striped and floral patterned t-shirt. Upon arrival, <clears throat> Corona police officers were directed to the location of the infant and confirmed the infant was deceased. The Riverside County Sheriff's Coroner responded to the scene and took custody of the body to determine cause of death. The cause of death is still undetermined and authorities have been unable to find family members of the baby girl through the use of DNA. Corona Police Detective Jason Walden told the Press Enterprise the police officers and firefighters worked with the cemetery, the Thomas Miller Mortuary, and the flower shop to organize a service held on December 6th at the Sunny Slope Cemetery. Attendees of the funeral reportedly brought flowers and stuffed animals. One attendee, Lorena Palcios, even brought a pair of miniature Christmas trees and placed them by the casket, one of which was bought by her and one by a grocery store employee who wanted to contribute. It's December, it's Christmas, Palacios told the Press Enterprise. I have three kids. Every kid wants a tree. Corona residents Mark Aguela, who brought a dozen pink roses and stuffed pink bunnies to the story, touched her heart. I just thought that coming out and showing support for this unknown baby was something we had to do. Corona Police Chaplain, Pastor First Baptist Church of Corona, John Castillo, said the prayer at the service. You're not here because baby Jane had the most beautiful voice because we were never given the opportunity to know what kind of singing voice she had. You're not here because she was able to write the most beautiful poem because she was never given the opportunity to write the poem. Every person who walks the planet is born in God's image, and she had inherent value and worth. The Corona Police Department would like to remind everyone that the city of Corona offers several safe surrender sites where parents can safely surrender their infant within 72 hours of birth with no questions. Babies can be dropped off at any fire station, police department, hospital, or anywhere with the blue safe surrender logo. Yeah. No liberals were present at that funeral. NBA Steve Curry says moon landing was fake. NASA schools them hard. The comments came with the Golden State Warriors guard appeared on the wing it 
Winging It podcast with two basketball player hosts. At one point, for some reason, Curry asked the others if they thought the United States had ever landed on the moon. You ever been to the moon, he asked. The others in Eunice agreed. The answer was no. They're going to come get us, replied Curry. Sorry, I don't want to start conspiracies. Annie Feinberger, digital content coordinator for the Atlanta Hawks and another host of the podcast, followed up asking Curry, you don't think so? Nuh-uh, he said. Feinberg then expressed some skepticism, asking Curry to clarify, and he said he did not believe the United States landed on the moon, leading to a short discussion of some of the most popular conspiracy theories, including one asserting the film director Stanley Kubrick had staged the entire thing. The Kubrick conspiracy theory has been out there since the beginning. Under the theory of U.S. realized before the July 16, 1969 launch of Apollo 11, they never reached the moon, so NASA called in the famed film director of 2001 A Space Odyssey to fake it. NASA has heard all the theories before and kept a sense of humor about the latest from Curry. They invited him to swing to the, by their lab. We'd love for Mr. Curry to tour the Lunar Lab at our Johnson Space Center in Houston, perhaps the next time the Warriors in town to play Rockets. We have hundreds of pounds of moon rock stored there in Apollo Missions Control. During this, his visit, he could see firsthand that we did 50 years ago, as well as what we're going to do, go back to the moon in the coming years. But this time, but this time to stay. NASA also has a page on the website in which it debunks conspiracy theorists. There are answers to all the questions raised by non-believers, but one of the strongest arguments, beside LRO evidence, is that all the Apollo missions were independent, tracked by England and Russia, our allies and enemies, both of whom sent letters of congratulations after the moon landing. In the midst of the heated space race, the Russians would have called our bluff if the landing had not actually happened, you fucking dipshits. Curry just isn't lucky. He didn't blurt out his theory when Buzz Aldrin was nearby. Aldrin was the second man to walk on the moon. In 2002, Aldrin was confronted by conspiracy theorist Bart Sibrel, who said to the astronaut, You're the one who said you walked to the moon when you didn't. Aldrin punched him in the face. Love that guy. Other hate tweets. Usual theme. Lefties hating on Melania Trump. New York Magazine. What does it mean that Melania Trump is now blonde? As MSDNC keeps saying, the walls are closing in on this administration, and if this is true, then it should not surprise us that after two years of steady brunette, Flotus takes flight with golden tresses. She has always been widely apt barometer of this administration's disjunction between onstage pronouncements and offstage actions. With this dramatic hair color shift, Melania may be reflecting the latest deepening of this rift between appearance and reality. Would that be okay under Obama? Could you say anything about Hillary's hair? No, I don't think so. And then Lawrence O'Donnell, the socialist piece of shit and sexist. The only thing you need to know about Melania is she's a Trump. A Trump by choice. Yeah. You know, what they say about Melania is so fucking wrong, man. I mean, you people. But our tweet of the day comes from Charlie Kirk. Love it. Love it big time. California ranks 46th in education, 15th in crime, crime, highest homeless population, highest poverty rate, the worst pollution, most illegal, holds the most debt nationwide, jail time for misgendering, but not for spreading HIV, and has been run by the Democrats for decades. Ba-boom! Yeah. So... Another music break and news, social media nuggets.
at the media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed this, this is this is something man this is this is our generation man all you people we're all together man it's groovy and dig yourselves because it's really groovy now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Trust and, and I would say keep your core cool and trust the men and women around you. Let them do their job, especially as an officer. I think that's the hardest part as an officer. He's like, you know what, an infantry officer, you know what your job is? Radio. It's not picking up your rifle and, you know, sending rounds downrange. It's about orchestrating and coordinating the entire firefight. And that means being on the radio with your, you know, with your squad leaders, being on the radio with, you know, the uh, base and, and being on the radios with birds and coordinating fires and, and have all that good stuff. Uh, the moment that you start losing your cool, you start to freak out, and you start trying to do everything is the moment that you lose complete battlefield awareness and, and probably your people around you, and that's how people get killed. Um, so that's just no, my, my word of advice in terms of combat. Uh, trust the process. <laughs> trust your people. Keep a cool-headed you know, mind and, and do your job. That's it. That is Congressional Medal of Honor winner Flo Grover saying what you should do in a firefight. thought that was an interesting sound, but he also talks about grenades, a whole bunch of other stuff. It is a uh, task and purpose segment they have with them. Marine Corps has identified the five Marines who died in the KC-130J Hercules crash off Japan. Lieutenant Colonel Kevin R. Herman, 38, of New Bern, North Carolina. Major James M. Brophy, 36, of Strasburg, New York. Staff Sergeant Maximo A. Flores 
of Surprise, Arizona, Corporal Daniel Baker from Tremont, Illinois, and William C. Ross of Hendersonville, Tennessee. Rest in peace, guys, and be with your family. Writing about what some call King Philip's War, Jill Lipper reminds us of the tight-knit relationship between war and telling the story of war. War is a contents, contest of injuries and interpretation, Tom Hanks, an American particularly well-suited to talk Hollywood storytelling. But within this story, he says it's too hard to do the current wars. Doesn't explain why he says that, but I would say his politics have a lot to do with it. Um, Mr. Hanks, you probably should research what Obama did. Yeah. He didn't really get us out of the wars. He made it worse. A psychologist at Travis Air Force Base in California was found guilty on Friday of sexually assaulting military officer patients who were seeking treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. Heath Summer will face up to 11 years and 8 months in prison after receiving guilty verdict on six felony counts of sexual assault, according to the Republic. Summer used a treatment known as exposure therapy to lure his patients who were, willing, who were military officers who had experienced previous sexual assaults. His exposure was to assault them again. What a motherfucker. Meet Lady Loves Taft, the new 10th Mountain Division's new mother of the mountain. The 10th Mountain Division has recently acquired a mother, a 25-year-old first lieutenant public affairs officer who runs a popular anonymous Twitter page under the handle Lady Loves Taft, or to her followers, just Lady. The relationship between a few weeks ago when Lady, who asked to remain anonymous, decided to boost the number of Twitter followers for 10th Mountain. Sort of happened on a whim. It was a Saturday after Thanksgiving, and I was stuck in a car for six hours. Lady noticed the 10th Mountain Division did not have any Twitter, many Twitter followers, compared with other members like the 101st, 82nd, or 3rd Infantry Division. There was a 10th Mountain with 2,000 followers and made me sad. So Lady tweeted out her 10,000 or so followers to go follow them. Hello, would everyone please follow the 10th Mountain Division because it makes me sad that they have fewer than followers and brigade pages do our snowy brothers and sisters need some love and cold up there since then the follower count on 10th mountain twitter has roughly doubled and the public affairs officers at 10th mountain have been keeping up a steady banter with lady culminating in her being dubbed the mother mother of 10th mountain lady is clear there's something she's doing this is nothing that she's doing on her own and she's not speaking on behalf of 10th mountain or any on any official capacity her private Effort on behalf of 10th Mountain social media has not gone unrecognized. We're extremely appreciative of her support and love she shows us, hence her unofficial title of Mother of the Mountain. And I thought that was pretty cute how she just went out and did it all on her own. Hmm. Military pay will not, not likely be shut down due to threat of government shutdown. So I guess it's a partial, which is a good thing for people like me. That's my money. I want my money. I'll call J.G. Wentworth on your ass. Melania Trump, Melania Trump makes first lady history with the ride to Osprey. Every network ignored it, but she was the first ones to first one to ever ride in one, which I thought was pretty fucking cool. Let's go into a college crazy, but we're going to do it the soundbite. This is millennials trying to open a can of tuna, followed with. Our highlight into our war on Christmas. Well, you know, I'll save it for then. These fucking people. 
Hey, here's another strange uh, thing that people are doing. I mentioned this last week. Uh, sales of canned tuna fish have plummeted. Canned tuna consumption is down more than 40% over the past three decades, and the tuna companies believe the reason is because millennials don't want to go to the trouble of opening a can. <laughs> the vice president of marketing for Stark has said, and this is a real quote, he said, a lot of millennials don't even own can openers. <laughs> I find that, a little, that reason a little bit hard to believe, so we decided to put the theory to the test. We went on the street, we asked young people walking by to try to open a can of tuna. And, well, this is how that went. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Can you open that can of tuna fish? Okay, I would try. It's been a while. Can you open a can of tuna fish? I mean, I'm supposed to know. I have one eat in a minute. Oh, I'll try. I always have problem with those stuff. Like, oh. I don't know how to open those. I can't open it. Hey, so what happened here? Oh, it came off there. Well, you opened the can opener. Here you go, try this. Try not to break that one. It's our last can opener. I can't do it. Did you break the other can opener? Yeah, I broke it. <laughs> uh, oh, let me try this. I'll use this. No, I love everyone. <laughs> Are you doing this to prove like that millennials like can or can't open them because the like company said that? You know, the reason they don't sell tuna anymore is because we can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's pretty much the whole premise yeah. of the entire thing. I think I'm getting it. Yeah, yeah you're definitely proving them wrong. <laughs> Wonderful. Nailed it. Nailed it, yeah. Look at that. Do you feel you have stood up for millennials? Yeah. Well, like, we're pretty capable, I feel like, you know? Yeah, look at that can of tuna fish. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thanks for watching, and remember, every time you click the subscribe button, one of your enemies gets destroyed. There's been a social media push to remove certain Christmas carols because they're a little offensive now. There were some radio stations that pulled Baby It's Cold Outside. Some people have said that it's not a song we should be singing anymore because it's problematic. You know, there could be... There could be people. You wrote an essay on it? Okay, let's let's hear your thoughts. Do you think it's misogynist in the era that we live in today to sing it? Uh, I think it definitely is. I think it needs to be adapted. You know, it's a totally different cultural time. We view a lot of things differently. So some of the lyrics are very suggestive. And I told you listen to it multiple times. You can definitely get a sort of vibe from the song that's just unacceptable. We need to change the lyrics and okay. not completely get rid of it. But, suggestions yeah. like... Hey, maybe stay if you want. Maybe don't stay if you don't want. I don't. Yeah, I don't know how we would do that. I really don't know the song, but uh, if it's if it's doing something that's gonna like really mess up social media, I think it I think it should be removed. Definitely, yeah, I'll take it off. Campus. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Clarify. Okay, can't have it on campus. If that's how it's making some people feel, then maybe there is a point we should be looking into. I don't take offense to it, but I could see how people would. 
Um, there is a lot of undertones of spiking drinks in the sense of like having the woman like convincing her to stay. Um, but I think the intention behind the song is kind of her debating in her own mind whether she's going to stay or not, and it's more of a playful banter. I think it's too PC. I think people are making a way big deal out of a f***ing song. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it matters that much. Okay. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's a song. I don't think it's that creepy at all, to be honest. I don't know. I never even thought of it as being creepy. What do you think? I don't think it's that deep. It's a classic. <laughs> Keep it going. Okay. You gotta look at more of the heart behind the message versus, like, the lyrics. What do you think? Should we be singing Baby It's Cold Outside on campus? Is it is it too, you know, problematic? Nah, it's fun. <laughs> what do you think? Do you agree? I, yeah, I agree. Like, yeah. I feel originally where it started from, it, it did not have that intent in mind. If you really want to take offense to anything, you could always go out of your way to find something offensive. Okay. Some people kind of go, uh, kind of go overboard with like their restrictions, like telling people what what they can and can't say. Would you delete maybe all the rap and country music off your iTunes because that might be misogynistic, also? Music, rock music, anything that might be taken as misogynistic. I definitely see that side, but like, <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> this sounds bad, but like, that song only comes out once a year, like that one time of the year. Whereas rap is kind of like all problematic year round. And so maybe it should be phased out a little bit more. But like, I also listen to a lot of rap, so there's that. <laughs> and with rap, it's not acceptable, but it's kind of. A different kind of lifestyle. And so, so the misogyny is a little more acceptable because it's not Christmas time. Ah, uh, yeah, it's a very good way of pointing it out. Everything is like subjective to that audience. So if like if you break down anything, it could be offensive to this person or that right. person. So I don't know. I mean, as long as like you're living a life in which like you're not discriminating yeah. on like race. Yeah. Or anything like that. Christmas I think it's fine. It's a Christmas song. Yeah. I'm Kappa Phillips with Campus Reform. Thanks for watching. If you liked what you saw, click right here for more content like that. And click right here if you would like to subscribe to be the first person to see all of our new videos. Please click them. Just click one of them. You don't, you don't have to do both. Just, just pick one of them. Okay. Thanks. God help us with these wahoos. USM gave false info in response to anti-Kavanaugh course backlash. An extensive campus reform investigation found several contradictions between the University of Southern Maine's statement in response to an anti-Brett Kavanaugh pop-up course, an email record obtained through the FO, or FOI, Freedom of Information Act. The president of the university said at the time the trip was hastily arranged when university employees were discussing the pop-up course release for one week in advance. The university also claimed the pop-up course was a result of actions of a rogue former employee when documents show multiple people discover, discussed this. So there's no way it was just one dude coming up with it. Let's break it down a little bit. Um... Information. Okay, these records indicate that the official statement released by USM President Glenn Cummings and Post Provost Janine Uzi regarding an anti anti justice Brett Kavanaugh pop up course contains several contradictions. The course was hastily arranged; it's been it false. Um, it was not appropriately reviewed or went through proper channels. That was false. And then they said that they. Uh, Cracked down on it. That's false. The creation of the course was attributed to a rogue retired professor, Susan Finer, 
according to emails obtained, she helped USM and USM faculty union secure a social justice grant for the National Education Association. In August 1st, 2017 letter, the USM faculty, the NEA stated that it would award the college $249,700 during the first year, $199,000 the next, and $148,000 the third. The NEA grant-funded university pop-up course programs, which were never intended to be just for liberal causes, and that's what it's used for. Uh, they go through here. Everything that school said was a fucking lie, and it doesn't surprise me. That's a social activism on the part of a few teachers in all the faculty. Because every time we break down a college donation, it's 97 to 100% liberal. Yoga group shudders after cultural appropriation complaint. Yeah, this is a real thing. American University students Maya Krishna complained to AU's President's Council on Diversity Inclusion and wrote an op-ed after seeing a non-Indian group perform an Indian epic in the school's yoga club. The yoga club's faculty advisor, as well as its student president and vice president, subsequently resigned over one complaint. They had to kill the group. The Eagle op-ed, after seeing a non-Indian group, the Ramaya, according to Ice Coast News, the Bukati Yoga Club advisor as well as student had to resign having my cultural represented by an almost entirely white troop of dancers is incredibly frustrating Krishna said in her op-ed additionally the director and other representatives of the theater company absolved themselves of cultural responsibility by saying that the point of the show is to increase exposure to Hinduism and traditions the Bhakti Yoga Club and invited Viva Cultura a multinational performing artist group to perform the Ramayana. The reality is of this is that the white European dancers will never know my intersectional experience as a Hindu woman being a brown-bodied person and other aspects of systematic racism that I, as well as other South Asian people, have experienced. The Bhakti Yoga Club confirmed its dissolution to campus reform. The club has been shut down because immediately after Viva Cultura performed, our faculty advisor resigned and president and vice president subsequently resigned as well. The group added that another student is now leading the group in an attempt to restart, but because they're white, this one student will crush it down again. You know, it used to be when white people started learning culture, he said that was a good thing. Now with all these cause heads, oh no, 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 no. No, 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 no. We can't have that. Professor docks grades for students who can't hold it in during exam. Instructors at Emory University Department of Russia and East Asian Languages and Culture have instituted a policy penalizing students who go to the bathroom during tests amid allegations of academic dishonesty. Under the policy, students must hand in their exam to use the restroom. To get their exams back, students need to sacrifice 10% of their grade. What does that say about that school? Are they going to the john and getting the answers? Wow. Well, I did that once in my life, junior high. Somebody gave us all the scores. I got a C minus, so I don't think his scores were that really good, and that's my last academic fraud I ever did. Illinois Women's Studies Department abolishes ICE, abolish ICE and police. 
The University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign Gender and Women's Studies Department shared a nine-point platform advocating for the abolishment of ICE and police. Madeline Hubbard, president of the Turning Point USA and UIUC, called this demand very concerning when speaking to campus reform. Their little nine-point bulletin. We call... Let me get my glasses on because it's in like font zero. We call for the right to self-determination and control of our destinies. You already have that. It's America. We call for the abolition of police, ICE, borders, and the judicial system. We call for an end to disposability politics and the commitment to transformative justice. We call for an end of the cisgendered heterosexual patriarchy. There you go. We call for decolonization and reparations for all indigenous and black people. We call for the comprehensive education that reflects our histories and needs. We call for an end to global white supremacy. We call for land justice and environmental justice. And we invite our comrades, accomplices, and allies to join us. Yeah. We'll get right on that. We really will. But what stops us from doing a lot of this stuff is our next article. Mom sings creepy lullaby her baby gave before she aborted it. This is in Ohio. A mother in Ohio claims she saw a vision of her baby singing her a lullaby moments before aborting it. She recently sang the lullaby while speaking at a blessing of an abortion clinic. In Columbus, Ohio, the image of a mother soothing her child through song was flipped on its head as a shocking pro-abortion rally. One mother at the rally recounted her abortion by singing a lullaby she said her baby sent to her while she was in the waiting room preparing to kill it. An event billed itself as the Blessing of Your Choice Healthcare, a non-surgical abortion clinic in Columbus, Ohio. Along with the mother's creepy serenading, other women speakers spoke of their positive experience with abortion. And just to up the event's blasphemy, quotient to 11, quotient to 11, several clergy members called upon the Almighty to bless the clinic and protect its submissions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting right on that. The supposed lullaby was actually a Beatles song, I Will, and the mother's voice was not exactly up to singing par. She claims her now aborted baby sang the song to her in a vision to tell her, it's okay. Here are the lyrics. You know I love you still. Will I wait a lonely lifetime? If you want me to, I will. For if I ever saw you, I didn't catch your name, but it never really mattered. I will always feel the same. Love you forever and ever. Love you with all my heart. Love you whenever we're together. Love you when we're apart. And when at last I find you, your song will fill the air. Sing it loud so I can hear you. Make it easy to be near you. For the things you do endear you to me. Oh, you will. I will. I will. Yeah. Pro-life advocates who witnessed the performance recall the haunting experience of hearing a mother turn a song about love into an anthem for murder. Watching this mother sing the lullaby to those gathered is haunting. This tune became the music of murder for one baby, and those assembled celebrated in hopes it would become the same for countless other children. Mark Harrington, president of Created Equal, told Life News, 
The event was sponsored by so-called Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice as a closing ceremony, counterpoint to the 40 Days for Life campaign where pro-life advocates pray outside abortion facilities worldwide and offer practical pregnancy to help and support the women. Pro-life advocate Mark Harrington said the blessing event was originally scheduled for a Planned Parenthood clinic, but that was canceled after it received national attention. There will still be a pro-life event outside Planned Parenthood. Create Equal will also raise awareness about how abortion kills innocent human beings during that time, he said. At these combined locations, abortion kills babies by chemical abortion and dismemberment. Up to 19 weeks, 6 days, just God advocates for the shedding of innocent blood is blasphemous. Abortion is a frontal attack on those made in His image, human beings. Authentic ministers of God oppose the killing of preborn. They don't promote it and bless it. The sacrilegious gathering was called the Holy Ground, blessing the sacred space of decision. The first event description read like this. During this clinic blessing, participants will gather with local faith leaders and guests to ask for God's blessing upon Planned Parenthood of Greater Ohio East Columbus Surgical Facility, the abortion providers and staff, and all those who pass through the center. In celebration of conscience and moral decision-making, this event will include interfaith blessing, prayers, and testimonies about receiving and providing abortion care. This clinic blessing will create space for progressive voice of faith to speak boldly in support of comprehensive reproductive health care, especially abortion. Harrington said, if you ever believed abortion was child sacrifice, think again. These priests of child killing may not be offering children as a human sacrifice to Molech, a Canaanite deity associated with the practice of child sacrifice, but instead are offering them to a modern false idol, idol called reproductive choice. And he's right. Oh my God. So, the positive, because of stupid shit like this, Ohio Senate passes bill banning abortion after detectable heartbeat. A bill banning abortion after fetal heartbeat can be detected has passed the Ohio Senate by an 1813 vote last month. The Ohio House also voted in favor of the bill, 5835, but the Senate did, did make some changes, meaning the bill will not have to be approved by the House again before Governor Kasich can sign it. The Senate removed the mandate for transvaginal ultrasounds, which can pick up a heartbeat as early as six weeks, and instead merely require abdominal ultrasounds, which some see as less invasive to women. We found that a transvaginal ultrasound process is possibly intrusive, and we wanted to protect the rights of mother, women who didn't wish to have them done. According to Dayton News, one study has found that abdominal ultrasounds can detect a heartbeat as early as seven weeks. The Senate also moved to add the abortionists who violate the law could potentially have their licenses practice medicine be suspended by the State Medical Board of Ohio without first requiring a criminal conviction. Previously, cases vetoed a heartbeat bill that passed through the state legislator and has promised to do so again. His successor, Mike DeWine, has said that he would sign it. However, meaning there are several options. With 60 votes, the Senate could overturn a veto from K6, or lawmakers could try to delay the vote to the new version until the new governor comes in. And Kasich, once again, if you're any kind of a conservative, why the fuck would you veto this? But well, let's break it down. They're not doing it because it is intrusive to the mother. And they're doing it because abdominal heartbeat is gives them extra weeks to kill babies. You know, you can maybe get a bad haircut and go, oh, fuck it, I don't want this kid now. My hair is all sorts of fucked up. Let me go kill that fucker at 30 weeks. Woohoo! 
Mexico's. Nashville's only abortion clinic suspends abortion services. Treva Parham, a spokesman for Planned Parenthood of Tennessee and North Mississippi, confirmed Monday the Nashville-based clinic stopped offering abortions last week, but is still open for other health services, like where to go to find another abortion. Parham said the change is temporary to allow a quality improvement period at the clinic. The change was first reported by a Tennessean. Parham said a lack of abortion provider is part of the reason for announcement. Planned Parenthood is now referring patients to clinics in Knoxville and Memphis. It's unknown how long the abortion service will be suspended, but... Right now, I'm pretty happy about it because in August, another one closed its doors. And that's probably a good thing. After my abortion, I felt relieved and I'm in the majority. Abortion is normal. Abortion is common. Abortion is happening. And abortion, above all, is freedom. Lindsay West. This was written November 1st, 2018. Excerpts from a shot your abortion edited by Amelia Bono. September 2010, I took one pill, then another, and lay in my bed for a night and day, and then I wasn't pregnant anymore. It was a fairly smooth, fairly smooth experience. Distressing only because my relationship was bad and I had no money. The procedure itself was an unqualified relief. I know that's startling for some people to hear. We are conditioned to speak about abortions with reverence and a bit of melancholy if we speak about it at all. But feeling relieved after my abortion didn't make me part of some radical vanguard. It made me utterly mundane. A full 95% of people who have abortions report feeling that they made the right decision. My relief didn't just place me in the majority, it placed me in a supermajority. I am part of the 95%, and 95%, as any fifth grader could tell you, rounds up to pretty much everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone's happy about their abortion. That's why there's no mental illness afterwards. There's no depression. There's no signs of people just trying to kill themselves because they aborted their baby. No, that never happens. You guys are so into the 0.7%, but you want to say that never happens when it fits your statistics. Got it. Abortion is normal. Same old bullshit again. Abortion is an unnecessary medical procedure. Abortion may pe- makes people's lives better. Abortion needs to be legal, safe, and accessible to everyone. Abortion is a thing you can say out loud. That's not to say that stories more complex or painful than my own, stories of trauma or abuse, malpractice, confusion, or impossible decisions, aren't important. They're real, valid, vital threads in the vast tapestry of human experience. If abortion is in your tapestry, you've got some fucked up yarn, bro. Go get it some new yarn. The fact that abortion stories are not a monolith is an indication, surely, that abortion shouldn't be treated like one. We cannot legislate away regrets. All we can do is empower every human being to make informed, sovereign decisions about their own lives. There's a reason why rape is a tool of war. When you take away a community's ability to control reproductions, you take away its ability to conserve resources, to act instead of react, to focus on building for the greater good, the future, rather than scrabbling to sustain new life, the present. On an individual level, those who are forced to bear children are denied the ability to lead self-determined, fully realized lives. Rape is a weapon of mass destruction because forced birth obliterates the notion of freedom. At the time of this writing, abortion has been legal in America for 45 years, and one in four people who can become pregnant will have an abortion at some point in their lives. That statistic is totally false, but go ahead. Go ahead. You, know, you got that from PPFA. It's not true. 
Contrary to what the pundit economy would have you believe, abortion is not particularly controversial. According to the Pew Research Center, nearly 70% of Americans oppose overturning Roe v. Wade, while 75% of Democrats believe abortion should be legal in all or most cases. These are not numbers that indicate controversy. Well, <laughs> yeah, they are, because you didn't go to the ones you don't want to talk about. And yet, in spite of those numbers, abortion bans and restrictions have become shuttering clinics at an unprecedented rate, leaving seven states with only one clinic and 90% of the country or counties in America with none. <clears throat> Regardless of legality, access to abortion simply does not exist for millions of Americans. Beyond that, the Trump administration is one dead or retired Supreme Court justice away of obliterating the right to have abortion by overturning Roe v. Wade, which is a total canard, but yeah, we've talked about it. How do we find ourselves in a place where abortion access is being regulated in a way that is so profoundly out of step with public opinion? The answer is relatively simple. Those who oppose abortion rights have dominated the conversation by framing abortion as murder. The left has never figured out a compelling way to advocate for abortion rights because the anti-choice movement has relentlessly flooded the discursive field with so much propaganda that even those who support abortion rights often so do so from apologetic stance. Those seeking to regulate reproductive freedom has intentionally created a cultural climate we're talking openly about having an abortion is an ability that a liability that most people are understandably unwilling to accept. We cannot effectively advocate for abortion in the abstract. Abortion is good for women, families, and communities, and the proof is reflected in our own lives. Many of us have our careers or our children because of our abortions. We have our careers or our children because of our abortions. Did they ever really think about what they're saying? It's so clashy, cliche, you know, they got cliche catchphrases. What the fuck, Chuck? Some of us would have never survived our abusers or addictions without abortion. One in four of us have had lives that were determined in monumental ways by abortion, and the vast majority of us do not regret our decisions. But if nobody will admit they had an abortion, we aren't able to illustrate the connection between having an abortion and living in a better life. We have to keep pushing these conversations outside of liberal urban centers and social media silos. During the great post-2016 election blame game, I read an article on Vox that called Everything Mattered by a writer named David Roberts. He argued that in the midst of all the fog, resentment, and disinformation, there was one undeniable defining factor behind Donald Trump's win, entrenched partisanship. About 90% of self-identified Republicans voted Republican, and 89% of Democrats voted Democrat. People who voted for Trump against their interests, against their better judgments, against their values, Roberts wrote. I'm not reading this. But here's the thing. Abortion as a liberal issue is not exactly truth. It's branded. Branding. Abortion as a debate is not truth. It's branding. We know because we care. Providers know that Democrats have abortions. Republicans have abortions. Rich people. Blah, 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 blah. Trans men have abortions. No, they don't. It seems counterintuitive, but I believe abortion has the potential to be one of our most unifying issues. It cuts through all those boundaries, race, class, geography, religion. The key is to drag abortion out of that partisan framework entirely. Under the Obama administration, we had the luxury of a more nuanced conversation. We could say abortion is normal. Going forward, we need to say abortion is freedom. Abortion is two incomes instead of one for your struggling family. Abortion is family values. Abortion is fiscal responsibilities. Abortion is liberty, anti-choice legislation in the form of unconstitutional government intervention that undermines personal freedom. This country is ours just like our bodies 
are ours. Telling our abortion stories is a form of resistance. Hmm. Let me reread something really quick. Going forward, we need to say birth control is freedom. Birth control is two incomes instead of one for your struggling family. Birth control is family values. Birth control is fiscal responsibility. Birth control is liberty. More abortion legislation is a form of unconstitutional government intervention that undermines the will of the people. This is written by some fucking PR firm for PPFA under the guise of an individual who wrote it. You're making the argument for birth control. You already won that argument because everybody on the planet agreed women shouldn't have to have babies just because they got pregnant. That's why we use birth control. The problem with the left is you fought for it once, one, then you fought for it to be universally paid under all health care and free, one, but then you still want to use abortion as birth control. The stigma is not inflected by the media who supports you. The media goes to all women's marches and pushes for abortion until they're toddlers. So you, once again, are arguing from a canard. It's not real. It's a straw man. Republicans and Republican people and Christians, nobody's made anybody feel bad about their abortions. Your conscience has. You are a soulless fucking ghoul who wrote this. You think it's all great. Kill all them babies. It's my right to kill babies. The stigma comes from people of all ages, religions, races, and political persuasions who go, you're a very selfish, irresponsible person. You let your vagina and the urgings therein make you have unprotected sex in a time when there are some fucked up diseases out there that can strike you dead like HIV and forms of antibiotic-resistant Syphilis and gonorrhea. How about herpes for life? Yeah. So, every time I read these stories and they talk about how horrible it is that people want to restrict their right to kill a baby until it's fucking crowning, you lose the argument because, no, all America... They want abortion to be legal, but they want it to be as Democrats used to be. Safe and infrequent. Not safe and my birth control. Because that's what you people do. You're disgusting. Woman sues orchestra for pay discrimination. There's just one problem. The first chair flutist for the Boston Symphony Orchestra is suing the organization, claiming she received $70,000 less than her male counterpart because she's a woman. Elizabeth Rowe joined BSO when she was 29 after a blind audition. According to WAPO, oh, you knew that was it, evolving playing behind a brown 33-foot polyester screen so no one knew her gender or race. Roe is now 44 and knows that John Ferrillo, a 63-year-old man, makes nearly 70000 more than her because his salary was disclosed in a tax filing. Ferrillo has been with BOO since 2001. 
Roe since 2004. Farilla was also lured away from Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, the Post reported, by offering to pay him twice what the orchestra rank and file make. But the biggest difference between the two, Roe plays the flute while Farello plays the oboe. Two very different instruments, so this is not a case of unequal pay for equal work. The BSO provided the Post with a statement in which it defended its pay structure, saying that the flute and oboe are not comparable because in the part, the oboe is more difficult to play and there's a larger pool of flutists. The BSO insisted the gender plays no role in compensating players. There you have it. Ferrillo is a prized oboist, which is much rarer than a prized flutist. The Post went went through the average pay. That's how people claim wage discrepancies rather than comparing apples to oranges or apples to apples. Of America's largest orchestra and found that only 18% of the top earning are women and that the top male earners make 535799 while the top female earners make four hundred ten. The Post does not say what instruments these top earners play for or which orchestras they play. They also break down a bunch of other shit, and it's once again not true. Not true. Big difference. But what I thought was very interesting in the article, which makes it a mute point, she was hired in a blind audition. Nobody knew who she was, what she looked like, or anything. So how is it? Did they know how you played your flute? I don't think so. And then my son sent me this one, Zach in Tennessee. BBC, 12-month opportunity for budding new junkies to gain hands-on experience at national and international level with the iconic BBC World Services. But there's a catch. This internship is only open to candidates from black, Asian, or non-white ethnic minority background. Definition of racism is included on this meme. Someone discriminates against you because of your race, the color of your skin, or where you're from. That's racism. And racism is a crime. Hmm. Then we had another one. This one came from Twitter. Off subject, but I wanted to shove them in somewhere. Fire delivery man who sampled customers' food provokes a debate about poverty. That was a trending topic on Twitter this weekend. The problem is, nobody was talking about poverty. People were talking about, that's fucking disgusting. That motherfucker was picking through my goddamn phone. Or my food. Picking through my fucking food. He was eating my shit. But not Twitter. Mm Mm-mm. He was a POC, so since he's a POC, he can rat fuck your pizza all he wants, because he might be poor. Okay. New York Times writer, cancel office Christmas parties so women avoid harassment. Not in our Christmas section, this is in our, these fucking people are idiots section. It's the least wonderful time of the year, says New York Times columnist Jennifer Weiner in a recent op-ed. The source of her Scroogey disposition, office Christmas parties. She uses the politically correct term holiday parties because of all the sexual harassment that women face. According to Wiener, the pro- prospect of the holiday party is a difficult one for women due to the difficult task of choosing clothes that signal that you are polished without being boring, attractive without being provocative, and that you're looking to be promoted, not pre-propositioned. For women, it's never easy, she says, adding that men have it all figured out when it comes to festive wear. In an appearance on CBS this morning on Monday, Wiener said that she would prefer it if the office 
holiday party were canceled entirely so that women could have more money in their paychecks instead of having to stress over what to wear. Why are we having parties at all? Wouldn't you rather have an extra $100 in your paycheck than to have to go to the social with a guy with the stale coffee breath who's been looking at your backside every time you use the copier? Later, Wiener gave some advice on how women could survive these office Christmas, excuse me, holiday party, which include a shout-out to Christy Blasey Ford, the woman who accused Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh of sexually assaulting her 36 years ago and was found totally wrong. Do not drink. Have a friend, have a plan, like if the guy who checks out your butt as you go to the copier corners you, have a friend with me, be there looking out for you. I joke that, like, unfortunately, I was telling somebody what to wear, I would say a body camera at this point. A body camera and the Christian Blasey Ford Memorial one-piece bathing suit under the clothes, which is terrible, but here we are. Since Me Too broke out in 2017, the office party has been the source of much debate. Some offices have resorted to banning all alcohol to avoid any awkwardness. Vox Media did this last year after firing its editorial director over allegations of sexual harassment. In an email to their New York staff, Vox underscored that partygoers will each receive two drink tickets, and after that, only non-alcoholic beverages will be served to avoid potential unprofessional behavior. And they have a letter that actually does it. Here's my deal. Why don't you act like a fucking adult? And the lady who wrote this, it's all wishful thinking. Because I'm going to be a sexist pig right now. She is an ugly, bloated, pig-looking woman. Nobody looks at her frumpy ass at the fucking copier. This is just some more political leaning. She just wants to push some more political leaning out there. Oh my god, everybody's getting sexually harassed. No, they're not. And if they are, well, you work at a shitty place. Because every place I've ever been... 2.3 seconds, you can file a fucking complaint. Motherfucker, gone. Next stupid women shit. Women can defeat the patriarchy by not retweeting white men. The less bizarre version of gender equality was exposed yet again. Tuesday afternoon at two panelists of Politico's Women Rule Summit and encouraged attendees to stop retweeting men. Women Rule Summit. Sounds like you're the sexist. So men don't rule? Mm Mm-hmm. The summit took place in the four seasons in Georgetown and was intended to expand leadership opportunities for women at all levels of their career. Speakers included keynote speaker Sarah Huckabee Sanders, RNC Chairwoman Raman McDaniel, Bureau Chief of Vice News Shauna Thomas, actress Felicity Jones, and many more. The majority of the summit's discussion fruitfully focused on equipping women to support one another in their ambitions and empowering women to become successful leaders and business people. However, a live podcast panel featuring actress and political activist Piper Parabo turned into a Trump-bashing giggle fest wherein a gleeful Anne-Marie Cox, host of the With Friends Like These podcast, urged everyone to stop retweeting white mail. Cox claims she's following the advice of her friend Anal Anal Dash, her name is Anal, Mm. who encouraged her to abstain from retweeting white males. Parabo expressed delight at this idea and looked forward to implementing it. Can I steal Hartman's tweets? Parabo quipped to Cox, to which Cox responded that she was not positive on the rules. Parabo shared about her journey into the political activism, saying that the release of Access Hollywood tapes propelled her into politics and in numerous political protests. 
She attended a class a friend at How to Get Arrested and came to D.C. eager to be arrested at the Kavanaugh hearing with money for bail in one pocket, a cell phone battery, and ID in the other, perhaps taking cue from other liberals who have been inspired to be arrested at Town Hall previously reported. Yes, I used to be a Girl Scout, she told the audience with a laugh. Parabo, Parabo also told the summit that her privilege as an actress was a burden for her and they suggested that Hollywood has not always been receptive to her political activism. When a moderator, Ann Palmer, asked her, so is Hollywood less liberal than we think? There's a calling yourself, there's calling yourself a liberal and there's going to a protest getting arrested, she laughed. Apparently grateful that she's above your average Hollywood liberal. Cox, when questioned on her sexist statement later on Twitter, offered no remorse for her remarks. Marie Margaret Ann, Mary Margaret Cohn retweeted her bullshit. Uh, Anne Marie Cox tweeted Sarah Santa tells Eliane Johnson of Politico Women's Rule 2018 that a really good story is one where you read it and you don't know what side the reporter's on. Truth isn't a side, my pearl loving friend. So Mary Margaret O'Hallahan said, Anne Marie Cox, you sat here and encouraged the audience not to retweet white males. Sexist much? Press secretary did a much better job of exemplifying how to actually rule with us. Her reply, so actually I encourage people to try an experiment of not retreating men, not even just white men. It can be helpful to see whose voices you elevate and to ask yourself why those voices. I found it valuable. You can go fuck yourself. I think that's what that acronym stands for. I don't know. She later tweeted, someone just came up to me and thanked me for rolling my eyes during Sarah Sanders' talk. I'm available for weddings and birthdays as well. So all women, just not conservative ones. Yeah. That makes that makes sense. The next one was a online course on how to be a good activist. Now they're going to pay you 500 bucks to go to another course to be great activists. Yeah, it was a $97 class, and it's 500 There's liberal groups putting young women in there, so yeah. Jezebel got gashed for this one, and it's our last women's subject. Country radio hasn't historically been interested in promoting the music of women. That was actually a tweet this weekend. Off the top of my head, I can list about 12 different women that were top of the charts. So what the fuck are you talking about, Jezebel? Oh, I know. Nothing. You don't know shit about it. How about rap music? How many women rappers get a lot of love? Don't know a lot. The one that went... Remember that song is fucking... What was that lady? Missy Elliott or some shit? I don't know. I remember that one. Newsbusters, this is horrible. Alyssa Milano to peddle lefty books to kids. Scholastics, anybody remember that from my youth? I remember getting scholastic books. We get books during the fucking summer. They're going to have her write books for kids. That's how liberal our world is. That piece of trash activist is going to be writing brainwash books for little children. Yeah. Well, you know, our schools, teachers' union, they think fucking Women's March is a bunch of great gals and don't care about the anti-Semitism. Yeah. 
Okay, makes sense. Then we got Gay Patriot. Um, I follow him, not because he's gay. It has nothing to do with it. He has some really good tweets, and he wrote an article that just spun these people up. And the article was, let me get to the title of the article, because Deadspin said conservative gays need to shut the fuck up. Yeah, that was um, what he was told to do. The head of <laughs> Southern Poverty, Poverty Law Center, or sorry, Hate Center, literally wrote this, Chad Felix is a snowflake. When you enter the marketplace of ideas, you might just learn that yours are worthless. Because he retweeted this article from Gay Conservative. Then he had to walk it back. I oppose bullying and sorry if you have experienced it. Shaming can have its rightful place depending on nature of the ideas or conduct or incident. Silencing is complicated depending on the part whether the one doing the silencing is a state or a private party. I do think that because your ideas align you with government actors who are doing real harm to real people, you should expect to have to do extra work to get people to listen. But you seem up to the task. Happy to continue talking over coffee the next time I'm in your city. Yeah. But, you know, Twitter bullying, that's, that's fine. The article is as follows. The stigma against my conservative politics is worse than the stigma of being gay. Chad Felix Green. Why would a person choose a life where they will be hated, judged, or rejected by society? This was one of the first arguments I learned to defend myself against in arguments about my sexuality. In the late 90s, it was perceived as a powerful call to humanity of those who opposed gay rights under the notion that it was merely a lifestyle choice. The idea was that if we could appeal to others' sense of compassion for a social plight, perhaps they could understand the effects of their intolerance. I haven't fantasized about breaking through the wall of prejudice and somehow speaking to the heart of someone who did not yet realize I was just a person like them. Today, I find myself in the same frame of mind and under the same weight of frustration and skepticism, but it's not because I'm gay. Today, I look out across the turbulent sea of political discourse and ask, why would anyone choose to be a conservative? To be a conservative means to openly invite others' hatred in your life and to lose your humanity in the eyes of strangers who view you exclusively through stereotypes and prejudices. To be a conservative means to be forced to choose when to speak And when to remain silent, since offending someone on the left, even mildly or by accident, is a social battle you may not be able to win. To be a conservative means carefully regulating your speech and constructing opinions in such a way to avoid being banned from the public square. To be a conservative means to be marginalized, voice, have a marginalized voice, excuse me, suppressed and dehumanized, bullied into hesitating to speak out. When I was in high school and complained about bullying, taunting, and rejection from my peers, I was repeatedly told that I should stop flaunting my sexuality in front of people. My grandmother would ask why I felt the need to shout from the rooftop that I was gay. My dad often asked me to tone down my gayness to avoid embarrassment and confrontation. I did not find my personal expression that outrageous or provocative, but I became far more self-conscious of what I said and how. The complaint was that by being openly gay, I was provoking people who were happier not being confronted with something uncomfortable to them. Today I hear the same thing when I see conservatives express concern over censorship and the left's dismissal dismissing, dismisses us as hateful bigots, upset that our intolerant worldview is disappearing from society. 
Even to bring up the subject is to invite taunting and disdain from very people we attempt in vain to reach out to. While I always hoped that I would break through to a person who saw me as a sinner, I find some today that it is impossible to even hold a conversation with someone who sees me as a bigot. Our concerns are mocked, our moments of frustration are viewed as weakness. We find no compassion from our adversaries. In fact, we see them champion silencing us permanently. In a Vox article written by journalist Zach Beauchamp titled Milo Yiannopoulos Collapse Shows a Non-Platforming Can Work, the author details the impact of targeted suppression. I won't read it. Yet Beauchamp is careful to cautious the left not to celebrate this accomplishment too enthusiastically. But before Milo's critics celebrate too much, they should be aware of the flip side to all this. The same tactics that can be used to repress awful speech can be used against speech that's just not unpopular or threatening to people in power. Today, no platforming may shut down speech you don't like. Tomorrow, it might threaten speech you do. Despite the wide range and differences in style, subject matter, and presentation between Milo and many of us on the right, the left does not see such distinctions. I think many conservatives wonder what happens if their words, which are often mere expressions of unpopular truths, were to invoke the wrath of the left too close to home. Far beyond simple banishment for social media, we realize our lives, careers, families, and safety should be, could be directly threatened. If the left believes surrounding the home of a political figure and threaten their family is justified protest, what would happen to a person with far less of a powerful voice to fight back? Everything I was told to fear about being openly gay has become a reality in being openly conservative. The fear of being fired, harassed, called dehumanizing names, bullied, and denied access to public life, even violence, are all realities I face today as a conservative. Their tactics are effective in that we are willing to censor ourselves, to fly under the radar just enough in hopes we will one day have the freedom to speak more loudly. We hope to appeal to the humanity enough to one day break through the absurdity of viewing all dissent as dangerous hatred. But just as I did not choose to be gay, I did not choose to be conservative. My political evolution happened over time, and I came to realize that I value truth and reason over narrative and emotion. I became an outspoken voice on the right because I felt I had no other choice than to speak up and shout the truth, despite overwhelming pressure from the media. The left has become empowered to actively stamp out our voices. Not just that, but they feel fully justified in doing so. But just as I realized at 16 with my sexuality, I embraced today with my political worldview. I can no more deny that what I know to be objective truth than I could deny my feelings about my sexuality. Today I feel the same nervousness and obligation not to hide when I speak about gender or science to the left as I did deciding to go to the prom with a man. When I hesitate to speak honestly about a topic that could get me banned from Twitter, I think back to how it felt to risk public humiliation and judgment as a teenager speaking the truth about who I was inside. Intolerance has no political affiliation. Totally not surprised. Totally not surprised. This this is pretty much the view of most conservatives. Me included. You can't have an opinion. The first thing they do is shut you down. It goes back to my hashtag men aren't women. One month I was chased on Twitter. Because nothing I said could get me banned, but they were trying to get me banned. They wanted me just to say one thing. One thing. Can't stop them. They own it. 
But that's an interesting... I think for those that are left of center, if you actually read that article and open mind listen to it, that's what conservatives are felt like in this world, regardless of they're in power or not. Believing in other than what the media tells you is dangerous. And that's why nine times out of ten, I think most of the people believing what the media tells you is just because you're lazy. You haven't formed a belief, or you just want to go with the crowd. And the crowd was, oh, look at Hillary. When in reality, nobody wanted Hillary. couple food ones. Uh, local Detroit eatery. Hopcat will change the name of Crack fi- Fries because drug addiction is not funny. They got pressured from changing their fries, which are called Crack Fries, that I've had in numerous restaurants. Because people said that's not good to people who are addicts. Okay. Hmm. CNN, scientists say that beef consumption must fall drastically to avert a climate catastrophe. But even if you're not ready to give it up entirely, you still have plenty of options that will make a big difference. What was their option? Insect burgers. This is the second week I've talked about this. Senator Frank nicely nailed it. Fake moves. (laughs) And then Katie Pavlich. They're blaming animal bites on climate change today. Animal-related injuries had to lead to health care costs of more than $1 billion a year in the United States, according to a new study, and they're happening more often. The rate of all animal attack injuries has increased over the past 10 years, according to Dr. Joseph Forrester, one of the authors of the study published Tuesday in the BMJ. He anticipates that it will continue to rise, partially because of climate change. So animals are biting people because of climate change. Yeah. Quick hits. Boy Scouts of America consider bankruptcy amid sex abuse abuse lawsuit. But if you dig deeper, it's because the moment they allowed females in, enrollment went down. That's what it's really about, but that's not the headline you're going to read. San Francisco creates world's first transgender district. Compton's Transgender Cultural District. I'm just going to let that sit for a while. I want you to think about that during a music break. Because good Lord Almighty, isn't that called gentrification? Bright, bright, the holly berries in the wreath upon the door. Bright, bright, the happy faces with the thoughts of joys in store. White, white, the snowy meadow wrapped in slumber deep and sweet. White, white, the mistletoe neath which two lovers meet. This is Christmas. This is Christmas. This is Christmas time. It's Christmas time. Gay, gay, the children's voices filled with laughter, filled with glee. Gay, gay, the tinsel things upon the dark and spicy tree. Day, day, when all mankind may hear the angels' song again. Christ was born to bless the song of man. This is Christmas, this is Christmas, this is Christmas time. It's Christmas time. <laughs> 
Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Yeah, yeah, that that's just I, I was I just want y'all to think about that. That that whole thing just doesn't make any sense to me. So you've taken Compton, historically African American district of that area, and you've said now it's going to be the gay central. Hmm. Other weird shit. This comes from Slate, and because we're running long today, I'm not gonna do the war on Christmas segment. I'll save it for Friday's podcast. I got a whole bunch of shit. Because um, that way I could turn Monday into just a positive Christmas show. Slate did this, and it's it's being dog for journalism. Bates World hosts a vibrant community of straight men who enjoy masturbating together. How they make sense of that says a lot about nature and male sexuality. The article. I wanted to find out how straight guys jerking off with other straight guys works psychologically so use base words user created polling questionnaire one of the site's most popular features to get consensus opinion on facts from other members of the site but before i started posting my own surveys i proved some of them that were pertinent for instance one asked simply is mutual masturbation gay the poll gives voters only two options no being homosexual is an attraction you can bond and bait with the bro and not be a homosexual and yes any interaction with the same sex genitals a homosexual act the result in mutual masturbation gay were 465 to 100. Not gay. Now, I don't want to come across as a homophobe here, but maybe it's generational, but I have never had the urge to masturbate with another man. I am from the generation that masturbation is a thing you hide. You know, you hide, you, you do it in private. Hoping God's not seeing you. Even mutual masturbation with my wife was cool when we both, you know, had to get my sex life. But if you're masturbating a woman, she's masturbating you. Or if you're gay and you're masturbating each other. That to me seems more match. And maybe it's homophobe. I I just don't see sitting down with another same-sex person. Hey, let's jerk off and watch each other. That's just something that doesn't come through me as a heterosexual male. I see that as a big negatron. I see that you'd have to be attracted to that. Watching a woman masturbate or a male masturbate, if you're the opposite sex, is attractive. But watching the same sex, if you're attracted to that, then you're bisexual at the least. I mean, where the fuck you come up with these rules? And what the fuck is Bates World anyway? I mean, wh- where did you find that? Slate. A news source. They share articles in the New York Times. Yeah. Netflix F is for family. Depicts graphic and disturbingly disturbing sexualization of young children. This was the show we talked about a couple weeks ago. But God, it's really worse. They show little kids kissing and fuck your mother and... Makes total sense when you 
compare it to this next article. Ten-year-old boy dances on stage for money at adult gay bar in New York. Drag kid, Desmond, is amazingly delivered in a headlining performance at a sleazy brook and gay bar on December 1st, where the ten-year-old boy danced on a stage in a crop top and full face of makeup as a throng of adult men in the audience showered him in dollar bills. The event, called Club Woe, was hosted at Brooklyn Gay Bar $3 Bill and was promoted on social media. Desmond also celebrated the performance on his own Instagram page with 105,000 followers. Adults who wished to watch a half-naked child dance in a bar could buy tickets on an even bright page in which the venue described itself as queer-owned and operated. We foster a safe space for love and respect all human persons as long as those human persons also respect the ones around them. Photos of the event show Desmond in a blonde wig, makeup, and crop top collecting monetary tips from adult men in the audience like a stripper as other half-naked adult drag queens, some in panties and fishnet stocking, stood on the stage nearby. YouTuber Yusuf Ozia of Ozia Media called attention to the disturbing performance in a video he posted Friday afternoon. A day after the performance, one reviewer on Yelp wrote, I left after seeing a child dance on a stage for money at nighttime. This was on a Saturday night, and I have been feeling disturbed ever since. Another reviewer said the club had a weird no-cell-phone policy. Desmond is amazing, his fucking name. A Brooklyn native has become a celebrity in the drag queen world and LGBT community and a little darling of left-wing media and gay lobbyist groups. His parents have come under harsh criticism for their questionable parenting style. He became famous after a video of him dancing sexually in a gay parade went viral. Desmond appears to spend most of his time with adult gay men and cross-dressers with the full support and encouragement of his parents. That's disgusting. That is endangering a child. Where the fuck is social services? And if homosexuality isn't a perversion, what the fuck is that? A 10-year-old boy? And this is our world. If a 10-year-old girl was dancing on that stage, every staff member at CNN would halo in and fast rope on top of that to do a story about pedophilia but a bunch of gay dudes doing it we're okie dokie with that yeah okay other things that will make it even worse Apple will produce new Peanuts animation for its streaming service they bought the rights to Peanuts you can guarantee it's all being rewritten God will never be there They'll be all minority, and Peppermint Patty will be gay before the season's out. I just, I'm telling you. Peppermint Patty will be there. Narrative busted. Study finds even feminists are most attracted to this type of man. Feminists think sexiest men are sexier than woke men. The skinny jeans isn't working. For the far left, extremisms or extremists are raising money on Patron to inspire insurrection. Would read the story, but it got shut down. Patron finally said okay 
we need to fix this stuff. But these are some of their tweets. Fuck it. I just identify as a militant revolutionary communist who wants to put every fascist in the world against the wall and violently expropriate the wealth and property of the owning class. I hope that catches on. Ha ha. A revolution is not a dinner party or written an essay, writing an essay or painting a picture. It cannot be refined so leisurely and gentle to temperament, kind, restrained and magnanimous. A revolution is an insurrection act of violence by which one class overthrows another. According to subsequent surveys carried by a U.S. oil engineer, the natural gas reserves of Liguazian alone amount to 580 building, billion. At the same time, the island is also home to a robust people's movement and has a strong presence of armed groups, including the New People's Army. They're talking about biological, asymmetric everything. But there's positives also in all this crazy section that I do. Elizabeth Warren backs off minority claim, I'm not a person of color. Are you shitting me? Elizabeth Warren said Friday that she's not a person of color. I'm not a person of color and I haven't lived your life and experienced anything like the subtle prejudice or more overt harm that you may have experienced just because of the color of your skin, Warren said at a Morgan State historically black college in Baltimore, Maryland. That's the first time she's ever said it. Hmm. Maybe there is hope for the future. Maybe there is. And that sums up our news and social media nuggets. We'll save Christmas for next time. Here are two Matt Best funny fucking videos to do our lighter fare.
hope you guys enjoyed the song. Check it out on iTunes, Spotify. It's downloadable everywhere. And make sure you check out BlackRifleCoffee.com. I just launched a shit ton of new epic products to include Fit Fuel, the best pre-workout coffee ever, and a protein-infused coffee creamer called Morning Glory. That is a tongue twister. Anyways, the most important thing of everything today is put the cookie there! Hey, are you going to get in the sauna or what? It's wife cardio. Give us your fucking jewelry! I would love to comply, but uh, in the state of California, all of those firearms are illegal. Oh my gosh, I am so... Sorry, I did not mean to bring an illegal firearm into your home. Oh my god, I had no idea. As a California resident, I am super thankful you guys are only going to rob me with legal. Illegal. 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 Fuck me! God, it is so hard to be a law-abiding criminal. What the This! Those are actually all California compliance. So, I mean... Don't get robbed. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Uh, Rob again, right? Yeah. Really wanted to watch Netflix. Cool. And because I love YPD, I'm going to have withdrawals because we don't get one until, like, after New Year's where you have the top 40 this weekend we'll be able to see. Um, they did a segment, that, well, they do a segment called the uh, Crime of the Week, and you know, we hear a lot about porch pirates. There was one this weekend, a guy literally grabbed a TV. By the time he got it in his car, he destroyed that motherfucker. So it was karma. He stole somebody's shit, and then he broke it because he fell, and he tried. Little skinny black dude, and he just couldn't carry this TV. It was slipping in the snow. It's hilarious. But you see a lot of porch pirates, especially with the ring apt and all these other doorbell things that are coming out. Well, this is a different type of poor pa- uh, porch pirate. Our crime of the week takes us to Maryland and a man named Ed Lawson who stumbled upon the aftermath of an alleged drunk driving hit and run accident. Somebody had to be drinking and driving. Look at this here. Look at this here. This is why you do that. Drink and drive. Look at that. You see? Looks like they hit this mother. Bounced off this mother. Made it hit this mother put half the engine, put the engine back in this mother swipe the side of this mother half half the cars underneath of this mother which end up pushing this mother into this mother steal more car parts and tore off the window and the, the mirror on this mother looks like he came back got a control for a second and then hit this mother pulled it back onto the street. Came back and while he was at it, I don't know where the f- that came from. Hit this mother. Falling the trail, swerved around, slammed that mother into that mother. Swerved around. Looks like he sideswiped this mother right here on his way out the mother. And you can see the trail of. I'm assuming this is. I mean, I know it's, it's got to be an oil type push for it to still be in. But damn. 
this mother right here while he was at it wasn't done. Knocked the bump off of that mother Managed to gain control. I wonder what the fing car looks like. <laughs> Do not drink and drive. You will f up a whole bunch of people's morning and There's around eight motherfuckers that are going to come out this joint and be so f***ed up at that mother. God bless Ed Lawson and his ability to commentate wow. <laughs> an accident. That is one mother accident. <laughs> Amazing. That's pretty funny shit. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. And send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOPpodcast gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Make sure you check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. FOPpodcast dot com. See links to feeds for the show, links to our Facebook page, and to email us. Our next show will be... The 21st, I'm going to take all the war on Christmas that I had now, shove it in there. I'll probably have a lot more. Try to do like I did this show. If you notice, you had more fun stuff in the back or crazy shit than we had uh, politics. Uh, that's probably what I'll do for Friday's show. And then we will have the December 24th, Christmas only. Happy Christmas with Christmas music and Christmas movies and the best Christmas shit. Christmas, Christmas. It won't be three hours long, but it'll be a decent show to uh, close that out. And then we'll push... The uh, Probably the year in review will be the 31st now. Think of the 31st, uh, maybe the 28th, 28th or 31st. Uh, try to do like the top 10 stupid shit. I'm trying to go through some of the old uh, podcasts, but um, I'm sure I'll find quite a few things. I know I already have the top 68 resistance members. That's something I'm going to cover because that was finalized this year. So make sure you spend a lot of time with your family. It is the holidays. Disconnect from all your computers and tablets and phones. Don't give the yeah yes. And tune in Friday the 21st for another exciting episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.